Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of November 4th, 2021, including Sega and Microsoft are getting cozier, id Software is working on bringing back a beloved FPS franchise, new reports on Infinity Ward's next Call of Duty suggest substantial changes for the series, and more. too much salad and now i'm full and i don't want to pod have you ever has this ever happened to anyone where they got full or they feel you know you know ah i'm bloated i'm gross i'm you know from eating salad that's a pretty standard way to feel after like gorging on like pizza or like a cheeseburger or going to like a steakhouse like you're not supposed to feel this way after salad so what the fuck did i do wrong is uh is my question but welcome to episode 126 week 126 of the Xbox on podcast, the number one podcast on the internet for diehard fans of Echo the Dolphin, the popular Sega Genesis game that although never got a third entry um, at all, let alone one for Xbox consoles, you know, we all know there's there's probably a good chance that Phil Spencer is in talks with Sega trying to make Echo the Dolphin come back in some way, shape or form. I, I assume that's probably going to be their 2024 2025 probably big holiday release for game pass but we'll, we'll get to that later um but until then guys you know how this goes i meander about for the first 10 20 minutes before we even jump into the regular show but that's okay you didn't come here for xbox news you came here to figure out what i've been needing this week so, but before before we can even get to that I, I, we got a handful of little stories here at the top to take care of these are stories that we're not going to do full-blown conversations on, and they're not going to be little notes, not important enough to make the podcast, but important enough to warn their own discussion. It's not going to be that kind of thing. We're just going to, you know, talk about some shit at the top of the show, some interesting things that have happened this week. So first thing I want to note, you know, we always do an update whenever there's a new development regarding the Blizzard Activision lawsuit. So here is the latest and greatest on that whole fiasco. The first thing is, uh, Blizzard have announced that its co-leader, Jen O'Neill, is stepping down from her role literally three months after she was assigned to it. Uh, the former Vicarious Visions boss, Rip, uh, who was announced as Blizzard's co-leader alongside Xbox executive Mikey Barra uh, back in August, is said to be leaving the company to focus on bringing more diversity to the games industry. This is a little funny. And now remember, we talked about this ad nauseum. And my biggest takeaway was obviously there's some shitty stuff going on here, but we're not going to try and we're not going to try to like divulge too much of this because I'm clearly not, I'm clearly not fit for discussing like these legal situations and things like that. I don't have the necessary knowledge to get into it, but nonetheless, this is big news. So we'll mention when things happen. I do, however, find it pretty funny though. That they were like Mikey Barra, of course, formerly of Xbox fame, and this Jen O'Neill were kind of put in this position together to co-lead the company after, you know, after all this shit went down as a way of being like, hey, now we got, you know, multiple people to keep one another in check. We have a woman in a massive position of power in this studio. This will help kind of, you know, just keep keep a little more of a level head uh, head when it comes to things like women reporting workplace harassment. And then what happens three months later? Uh, the, the woman leaves. <laughs> so I just find that a little funny because it's like now they got 
at the very least, this optical issue of like, oh, fuck, we put a woman in, in, in such a high position in an attempt to address this, uh, the, these claims of, of harassment and inequality towards women in this workplace. And then she's like, peace after just a few weeks. So Mikey Barra, you sure you wanted to leave Microsoft? You sure you don't regret leaving Team Xbox? You scrub? No, no, no. That's not just a, just a very important little piece of news to go over there. Now, second update regarding that story, because we got a couple stories, you know, about the Activision Blizzard lawsuit. Activision CEO, the top dog himself, Mr. Bobby Suck Your Dick for $20 Kotick, has claimed that he's asked to be paid minimum wage until measures planned to address the harassment and discrimination at the uh, company are successfully implemented. So, as reported from VGC, in a letter to employees, Kotick states that Activision Blizzard is making five new commitments to tackling the ongoing reports of harassment and discrimination. And in regards to this whole announcement, Kotick made the announcement, quote, I have asked our board of directors to reduce my total compensation until the board has determined that we can achieve the transformational gender-related goals and other commitments described above. Now, you may be saying, ah, very, very clever, Little do, uh, little do most of these inbreds all around the world know that CEOs don't really make most of their money from their salary. They make it from bonuses and things like that. Well, here we go. He continues on and says, specifically, I've asked the board to reduce my pay to the lowest amount California law will allow for earning a salary, which is about $62,500 a year. To be clear, this is a reduction to my overall compensation, not just my salary. So I'm also asking to not receive any bonuses or be granted any equity during this time. Well... Even if this is just a PR play, that is the right thing to do. A couple things. That, is, in my opinion, that I, I, I'm not particularly a Bobby Kotick fan, but credit where credit's due, that is the right thing to do, even if it is for the wrong intention, which is clearly just a goodwill PR stunt. I, I love this. This is actually a very Japanese thing that I wish more companies would adopt. You might remember during the Wii U days when Nintendo was kind of kind of really suffering through the Wii U. Satoru Iwata, may that sweet gentleman rest in peace, among a bunch of other execs at Nintendo, had agreed to take a massive reduction in pay until the until the company's financials kind of got back into shape the way they wanted them to see as a result of saying like, hey, I'm in charge of this company, the buck stops with me, therefore I should face some kind of punishment or some kind of consequence as a result of the company's overall lack of performance. I love that mentality i love that accountability americans love to talk about like keeping accountability and being tough and strong and willing to make sacrifices and take ownership and things like that but american business culture is very much like nah lie cheat and steal and uh and then point your finger and at something else that's kind of distracting whenever you get caught and so i will give bobby kotick credit in this in this case he is doing what i think is the right thing you know i i say probably not for the right reasons probably for pr stunt but at the same time it's like who am I to try to assume someone's atten- intentions? That's not very fair because I am not that person. I don't know that person. Therefore, I cannot confidently and accurately assume their poten- their intentions. So anyway, that's happening as well. Anyway, moving on. Marvel's Avengers is removing paid XP boost following fan criticism. Okay, now this is something we can talk about because this isn't about the lawsuit. This isn't something I've arbitrarily put a wall up against. That I said, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not commenting. So Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics will remove paid XP boost from Marvel's Avengers beginning this week, following fan backlash uh, over the introduction to the over their introduction to the game recently 
following the game's entry into Xbox Game Pass. The ability to buy XP and resource collecting boosts with real money was controversial uh, when it was added last month and just a year over the game's initial release, but consumables can be used to temporarily boost the amount of XP players gain and increase the number of resources they collect while playing, essentially acting like an accelerator to ensure faster progress, kind of like what Ubisoft has been doing with like Assassin's Creed games and shit like that in recent years, because nothing says our game is fun to play like buy XP boost so you don't have to play the game to level up. Ooh, can't wait to sit on the couch and dive into that that uh, sweet little gem of a game. No, this is the right thing to do. See, I'm of kind of two minds on this one because I, I think rightfully so, I understand why fans were mad about this because before the game came out last, last year, they made it clear that they wouldn't have microtransactions that would impact game. It would all be purely cosmetic shit. So this is absolutely them being hypocrites and lying and going back on their word. But the only reason I put like a but there and I'm willing to give them any amount of slack is because that was when the game was a $60, go out to the store, buy this game at full re- retail price, and then we're going to ask, you know, that then we'd otherwise ask for more money on top of that just to play the game, progress through the game. That would be immoral. That would be wrong. I'm not a fan of that move. But this is a different Marvel's Avengers. That's a year in. It is now more or less free to play, quote-unquote, included in your Game Pass subscription. I think it's also on PS Now for PlayStation users as well. So the barrier to entry has been lowered so much to to the point where most people playing Marvel's Avengers right now didn't buy Marvel's Avengers, or if they did, they got it for dirt cheap. So... The idea of having these kinds of microtransactions don't really bother me because the game has, in some sense, kind of become a free-to-play game. So it is a little bit of a gray area. I don't think it's as schemy as if this were like, you know, Activision announcing that the Call of Duty game that came out 10 months ago is now going to charge you money to level up and speed up your XP boost because they, they said they wouldn't. And now they all, I guess they kind of allow that to some extent because you can buy tier skips on the battle pass. We won't get into it, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, the newest call of duty is still $60 and still selling a crack. And that would be unfair. But this again, it's like the way people get and play Marvel's Avengers today is entirely different from the way it was when it came out a year ago. So I, I wasn't as upset about this, but I do think they made the right move in the end of the day. This does put them in a bit of a position now because this is a game that has lost them a lot of money. They're trying hard to find a way to sustain it, make it profitable, and this was a way. And now that's, again, even harder because, yes, I'm sure they got good money bringing this game to Game Pass, but a live service game needs to continuously bring in revenue. And if they're not able to add microtransactions like this in, it's only going to make that a more difficult task for them. So, yes, this was reasonable for people to be upset about, but also... You know, careful what you wish for, because this kind of this kind of move could be the beginning of the end for a game like Marvel's Avengers. So I don't know. Interesting stuff, right? It's funny how something that can be wrong in one case can be kind of like acceptable or or maybe less morally reprehensible. Now that's gonna do it for these top of the show little things I want to jump into. Before we get into the comments, I do want to do another quick reminder. This is again for like the five of you that get Xbox on from CastBox, not Spotify, not Apple Podcasts, not YouTube, whatever, you know, Stitcher, whatever it may be. For the five of you, including myself, who subscribe via CastBox, remember, your feed might start disappearing for Xbox 
When I started the podcast a few years ago, the RSS feed did not automatically feed into CastBox, and then randomly within the past year, it started doing that. So now the fact that I've been manually uploading to CastBox and the RSS feed is now automatically uploading to CastBox, when you search up Xbox on through that service, you'll see there are two channels, and I want to eliminate that redundancy and fix that and make things a little more clean and streamlined and less confusing. So I am going to stop uploading and posting and remove the manual cast box feed. So if you are one of the people who are subscribed to that and you won't know until I stop, um, it, basically what I'm saying is if you are subscribed to Xbox on a cast box and in two weeks, you just stop seeing new episodes appear in your, in your feed. I have not stopped uploading. The podcast has not ended, but you just need to go search up Xbox on again. You'll see the other feed that you can then subscribe to, to continue listening. So this is the second time I made this announcement. I will make this announcement one more time before this change goes into effect as to give everyone a chance to jump ship all five or six of you. I don't want to make anyone miss out on this glorious podcast that is predominantly about Xbox adjacent topics. All right. With all that junk out of the way, I'm not going to talk about my Twitch or my Twitter or my YouTube because who gives a shit, right? We're here to talk about the VGs. And as far as VGs go, we got a lot of shit to get into. So starting out with the comments, you know how it works. You say, Jesse, this is a stupid show. I think I can make it better by adding my voice. I want to say things like what I think ketchup should go on, what kind of foods ketchup is acceptable to put to, to have with. And I'll say that's dumb because ketchup is dumb, but it's a free it's a free podcast. You can say what you want. So you go over to YouTube.com. You type in YouTube.com slash C slash Xbox on podcast. Enter that shit. It'll take you right to my channel. Maybe even leave a follow or a like on the video. Who knows? But you click on the latest episode of the podcast and you leave a comment. If you leave a comment, you're more you're more than likely going to get right on the show. You can say something nice like, Jesse, your hair is looking great today, even though it's an audio-only podcast, so I, I don't really know that to be true. And I'll say, really? Kind of in the middle of a transition phase, but I appreciate the compliment. Or you can say something mean like, Jesse, you're balding. Just shave it off. End it all. You're pathetic. You always have been. This should be the end of Xbox on the podcast. And I'll say, God damn, that's dark, but I'm sure the audience will love it. So I'm going to read it anyway. And so with that in mind, our first comment this week, got a little bit of Halo Infinite to touch on. Headhunting Halo. Remember, this is not a stripper. This is not, what did we think your name was? Megan or something like that? Anyway, Headhunting Halo says, Jess, you only have like five more shows until Halo Infinite drops. Holy cow. Holy cow. Like holy young cow. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. We're count counting down the weeks. We're getting close. We got two, three, four, five. Yep, exact. The night I'm recording this, Wednesday night, we have exactly five weeks until the launch date of Halo Infinite. I am secreting in my pants right now out of excitement. So, you better believe it. Headhunting Halo. Dead Captain James writes in and says the Halo Infinite showcase last week made me audibly say, "Let's go!" And then it says read more, but I accidentally didn't screenshot that, so fuck me. And then Way of the Loud writes in and says, "My guy, how you doing? Hope you're doing okay. It's actually a GPU. Uh, actually, a GPU referring to that Halo SOC thing that was announced the other week. Anyway, you good? No worries. Great community. I'm digging my way through Halo Infinite. Wait." I'm digging the way Halo Infinite is looking, and it makes me wish I had money to get a Series X and a badass OLED to go with it. But, you know, priorities. Love the podcast. It's one of the highlights of my week. Take care. Keep streaming and keep podcasting. Way to allow. Thank you, as always. You are, you've been very nice, very supportive. I always appreciate you popping in and uh, writing in and, and just being here. You're a good guy. And, yes, I hope very soon an Xbox Series X 
and an OLED TV are in your future. Let me let you in on a little secret. This is just my take. It's personal preference. You don't got you don't got to take my advice. OLED TVs are expensive as hell. You don't got to have an OLED TV. You can get a really really kick ass like QLED or something like that and save yourself some money. But uh, nonetheless, you know you know you, you like what you like. You want what you want. If if OLED is what will make your your heart content then I hope uh, an OLED and a Series X are in your future. And uh, either way, we'll be playing some Halo Infinite together in just a few short weeks here. So look forward to it, my dude. Now, moving away from Halo, we've got a different take. I love this kind of comment, first of all. Moose the Seventh wrote in, Moose Seven, Roman numerals, Seven, whatever, wrote in. And I, uh, I love... I love when people are willing to just have constructive feedback and kind of take you to task on something you said. This isn't me saying I love when people insult the shit out of me. Uh, this isn't me saying I love when people are assholes. This is me saying I love when people are like, hey, that's your take, but here's why I think you're wrong. And then you give your opinion. I love this. We live in a world where it's like, if you disagree with someone, you're supposed to keep your mouth shut. But I think it is important that you tell someone why you're like, hey, you know that big story you keep championing, that take, that hot take you keep giving like it's fucking candy on a, a, out, of a out of a suitcase in the backseat of a car? To young children on Halloween night, it's just dress up, nothing to be worried about here. Well, I think it's a bad take, and I think you're dumb. And I, I mean, whatever. Let's just get into it. Moose the Seventh writes in in regards to my whole the consolidation of the games industry sucks argument, and says I've listened to your take on consolidation for weeks now. I finally had to come and counter your point. Your view on consolidation has some flaws. Consolidation is happening whether Microsoft is buying it or not. If Microsoft doesn't buy it, Tencent will. The only games that will possibly be played less because of an acquisition by Microsoft would be huge blockbuster releases. Anything else will have to be more accessible because of Microsoft's vast ecosystem and Game Pass. Anything else will have more accessibility because of Microsoft's vast ecosystem and Game Pass than it would if someone else swoops in and buys it. The only downside to consolidation is if one giant publisher falls and then it's the entire ecosystem that would follow. All right. I appreciate a lot this alternate perspective because I think you do bring up some very interesting talking points, some stuff worth exploring more. I almost wish you were here an audio format so we could go back and forth and discuss this discuss this because now all you're going to get is my counter. And if you choose to write in again about this, we'll have to wait a whole another week to figure out what happens next. But my, my whole thing, I have a couple of reactions to this take, but my whole thing is I can cut straight through to the core of your argument in this one sentence you wrote where you said, the only games that will possibly be played less because of an acquisition by my Microsoft would be huge blockbuster releases. The only games that would possibly be played less are huge blockbuster releases. And so I think you understand exactly what I'm getting at, which is that's exactly the problem is the big blockbuster, the huge blockbuster releases are the games that are most desired are the games that the largest number of people would like to experience, which means when that game becomes exclusive, the more people that suffer as a result of not having access to that game perfect case because we oops dropped my water perfect example because we know this one to be factually correct 100 true is happening is in the works starfield a game that was obviously going to come to playstation and xbox before the bethesda acquisition is now no longer going to come to playstation because of the acquisition so what does that mean for people on PlayStation? Well, there are over 120 million PS4s in the wild. There are already over 13 million PS5s in the wild. PS5 is selling like crack. PlayStation is the strongest brand in console gaming. But all of those players, 100% of those players do not have access to Starfield now 
because it's not coming to PlayStation. And that's exactly the point. You know, it's like one thing if it's like, I don't know, think about a game like what's a what's a good example of like a smaller indie game that was exclusive or let's think of something that's more niche, right? Like we're going to get into Sega in a little bit, right? Fantasy Star Online 2. It never came to the West until Xbox worked it out with Sega and now it's available through Xbox and PC in the West exclusively. You cannot play it on Nintendo. You cannot play it on PlayStation in the West only through Xbox and PC. That sucks because, yeah, it means PlayStation players can't enjoy it, but it affects a relatively small population because even though Fantasy Star Online 2 is successful and it does well and it's a good game, it is substantially less enticing and mainstream and appeals to a much smaller audience than than a game like Starfield, which is the next game from the people that brought you Skyrim. So that's my first big gripe is here. Here is that you're saying, well, yeah, I guess some people will suffer in in the case of some games, but it's only the biggest games that absolutely matter the most. Is kind of what you're saying here, and that's kind of the crux of my whole argument. Is like those people shouldn't have to miss out. And yes, you're right. You're right. You know, if Sony has something, if Sony had Starfield exclusive, and we have there are reports that suggest they were trying to do that. Yes, it would have been more locked down because then Starfield would have been exclusive to PS4 and 5. Fuck you, Xbox. Fuck you, PC. Fuck you, everything else. The game is only on PlayStation. Everyone other than PlayStation would have lost. The nice thing about Xbox is exclusive to Xbox means, well, you don't have to have an Xbox to play it. You can play it on a PC, which has got an install base way higher than any other fucking console in the world. You can play it through xCloud by streaming it to your Android or iOS device so that makes it accessible to basically everyone in the world because who the fuck doesn't have an Android or iOS device so yes it's still very very accessible relative to like if Sony owned it if Nintendo owned it if you know what whoever owned it but that's I don't think that line of thinking is smart just or not smart I don't think that line of thinking is is a good idea just because what we see here, well, two things. One, because it still takes the game away from a shit ton of people. And two, and more importantly, because the more and more Xbox continues to buy developers, the more it, and this leads to my second point, the more it kind of forces the hand of the rest of the industry and promotes and kind of necessitates this culture of we got to buy. So, yes, Microsoft buys Bethesda. Now, Bethesda games are not coming to PlayStation, only Xbox. It could be worse because... As long as it's exclusive to Xbox, you still have access to streaming and PC. So it's still available to a wide audience. Great. But Microsoft buying Bethesda, Microsoft buying Playground, Microsoft buying all these other teams they've been buying left and right kind of forces Sony to be like, all right, we got to put up some money. We got to buy more studios. And now all of a sudden, Housemark is exclusive to PlayStation and Bluepoint is exclusive to PlayStation. You know what Bluepoint did for Xbox most recently? They ported Titanfall uh, to Xbox 360 when when it was a launch title for the Xbox One, and they did a phenomenal job with it. Well, guess what? Bluepoint ain't, ain't important shit to Xbox ever again because Sony owns them now. And so it promotes this whole thing of, like, people got to buy studios. You're seeing EA's forming new studios and acquiring studios. Activision is trying to hire everyone who even knows how to work in some kind of game development program ever known to man to put them exclusively on Call of Duty Warzone and probably lock them in a cage to do so for the rest of forever. So what we're seeing is a massive consolidation of the industry where one person leads and everyone else has to follow because that's kind of how this game is played. When someone starts putting up the money and making big dick swinging moves, others have to react. It's kind of what's happening with Game Pass, right? Microsoft just can't do 
Game Pass while everyone else sits on the sidelines and goes, yeah, Game Pass is pretty fucking great. I guess we're going to do nothing about it. PlayStation's obviously working on something with that, and they have done reactionary things already, like the PS Plus Collection and getting more aggressive with PS Now. And we just saw today Netflix is getting into game streaming, which we know they've, we've known for a while they've been wanting to do this, but they're getting more aggressive about it. And we're going to continue to see this be a trend where people are going to try to get into cloud streaming and gaming more. People are going to try to compete with Game Pass's subscription offering more and more because when you make a move that is that shattering, everyone has to follow. Remember when the Xbox 360 came out and it was kind of literally the coolest video game console literally ever to release in the history of humankind. And I know you have a lot of nostalgia for Super Nintendo or N64 or whatever the hell it is and you're entitled to love what you love. No, no one can take away your childhood nostalgia, but you remember how the Xbox 360 was kind of the most amazing fucking console ever released because it had first party wireless controllers and it was connected to the internet and Xbox Live and everything was built in the fucking box except Wi-Fi which eventually was built into the box but that's beside the point and everything was in HD and it was like holy fuck this is literally the most next gen experience I've ever had on any next gen console because when I boot up the system it doesn't even take me straight into the game it takes me to a fucking dashboard like I'm on a computer and it gives me all these options and customization abilities and holy fuck this is not like the box that plays my games but now it is the ecosystem in which I exist when I play video games and I can make an avatar and I can I can make a profile and I can unlock gamer score and I can do Xbox 360 kind of changed the way we approach gaming for the rest of forever and it's just a fact that PlayStation 3 couldn't have just been like yeah well the PlayStation 3 um it doesn't have achievements um it doesn't have online play it doesn't have voice chat it doesn't have any of that kind of shit but it really has uh it really does have what's that game that that uh that fucking sh haze what was that playstation 3 shooter haze does anybody remember that microsoft was like yeah here's gears of war in xbox live and threatening to fuck people's moms you know in, in multiplayer lobbies enjoy that and everyone's like this is the greatest shit ever and playstation was like here is haze published by ubisoft developed by free radical design uh, exclusive for the playstation 3 released may 20 2008 go fuck yourself that can't happen. PlayStation had to react. That's why throughout the generation of the PlayStation 3, we got the introduction of trophies. We got more robust online services and offerings because they had to keep up with the precedent that, that was set during the OG Xbox and the vision that was fully realized and, and, and uh, kind of carried out through the Xbox 360 because it has forever changed gaming. And that's just kind of what buying all these studios and building out Game Pass and all these things have done is it's created this this system where you can't just stand by and be like, okay, that's that's nice. You go buy half the talent in all the games industry and we're just going to make a PlayStation TV show based on Twisted Metal, which is apparently a thing that's actually happening right now. So it's just, I don't know. It's just a, a whole thing of like, it's a slippery slope. And I get, I get the point you're saying that's like, well, listen, Microsoft are relatively you know, relatively good guys in this space compared to like Tencent. You know, if Microsoft didn't buy the Team X or Y, Tencent may have slipped in. And you are absolutely right, but I don't think buying up studios or consolidating a market or kind of monopolizing a market to an extent isn't a justifiable thing to do because you could, by, by saying, oh, well, if we don't do it, an even worse actor will jump in and do it. And that's worse for everyone. It's like, no, you're supposed to lead by example. You're supposed to be, be the good guy, you know, like do the right thing. So I don't, I don't like this idea of like, I don't know, of like someone even worse than us would have done this. So I guess we should do the bad thing. 
first so that it's less bad. Like I just I think that's kind of morally not a great argument. And then finally, the the other thing is this this just brings up the cost of the industry and, and keeps a lot of players out because the more the talent is owned by the absolute top tier most like most profitable companies, you kind of gatekeep everyone out from getting in. It becomes this really dangerous thing of like only people with Microsoft money can get in on this industry. Only people with 10 cent money can get in on this industry. Only people with uh, Embracer Group money can get in on this industry. And that's just not a very good story because it, I I think it ultimately only widens the gap of there's the AAA and there's the indies and there is nothing in between. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not so true just because Embracer in particular is kind of the one bringing back the mid-tier, but whatever. All right. Pizza slash duo, a more lighthearted topic. Mr. Miggy writes in and says, All this talk on pizza is making me want Domino's. I miss having Domino's. Also, I'm watching a review of the Surface Duo 2, and it makes me want one. But I already have two good working phones. Well, Mr. Miggy, what you're going to want to do there is take some adhesive-type material and, and stick it in between the two phones, and boom, homemade duo. And I think that's a good idea, but yeah. Dude, listen, the struggle to always want a new fun toy to play with, a new phone is a it's a real struggle so domino's pizza is good shit though domino's pizza let me if we're talking about the name brand like chain fast food pizza places domino's pizza is greater than papa john's no no domino's pizza is greater than pizza hut which is greater than papa john's which is greater than uh scooping poop out of your cat's litter box and calling it pizza uh halo soap ea's king has written in says yo jesse did you see the official halo infinite soap by dr squatch I, I did see it. Immediately, I, I stared at this this announcement for all of three seconds. And in those three seconds, my brain went, what the fuck does Halo Infinite smell like? Next. And I just kept scrolling on Twitter and was like, nope, we're not doing this. We're not. I don't want to. I don't want to smell like Master Chief sweating in a seven foot tall suit of armor. OK, but yes, I saw it. And it's cool. That it exists. OK, cloud based multi-platform singular game experiences. This is something we talked about last week. The idea of these games that are built more on the architecture and the infrastructure of cloud technology um, with the idea that a game can kind of translate and adapt and become different experiences depending on where and when you play them, whether that be, you know, this kind of interactive experience when you're on the couch with your Xbox controller in hand or a different, more bite-sized kind of alternate experience that feeds into the same game when you're on the go on your smartphone, you know, whatever the case may be. I had a hard time really articulating why this was so special and interesting um, the other week, but Count Scottula here has written in with a comment that I find to be just one of the absolute most special comments in the world, so we're going to read it. And you know what? You're going to have to uh, love every second of it, and if you don't, I will ban you, because if there's one thing that Xbox On listeners know, it's that I am very loose with the ban hammer. So Count Scottula writes... The game being tailored to where you're playing rather than forcing the same experience everywhere definitely needs to be adopted. Most software already does this. Websites have a native app experience and already drastically different when you're on desktop versus mobile. Someone will nail this down in a meaningful way before long, and I think long term you'll start to see new games new games designed around this concept from the beginning. Count Skyler, I think that's the most succinct way to say what I was trying to say uh, last week, which I was just kind of running circles and rambling. This is what I love is especially this part where you say um, someone will nail this down and find a meaningful way before long to do this because that's exactly right. Because I understand. Well, before again, here's my brother's take. My brother Josiah writes in and says the idea of having to play some crappy mobile experience in order to unlock stuff in a game 
is almost enough to make me want to quit playing video games forever. The idea is so freaking horrible. Games will just be bloated to make you feel like you have to play in all platforms. Why don't you just make this fun when I'm playing it, and when I'm not playing it, sit there and behave. It just sits there and behaves until I get more free time. So that's the thing is like, my knee-jerk reaction is a lot like my brother's, and I think a lot of people probably feel a similar way where it's just like, this is dumb, it feels cheap, it feels gimmicky. It also just feels like, you know, it's like in a world where everything is vying for your attention at all, at any given time. It's like, why the last thing I need is for a game I already like to be trying to find even more ways to just, to just soak up every ounce of my existence. Like, this is dumb. Learn your place, stay there, I'll play you when I'm ready. I, I also concur with that kind of sentiment on first read of, of this news, but... I love what Count Skyler says about some, someone is going to nail this down. It's exactly that. We're going to see stuff like this happen. It's going to be shitty. It really is going to be like the example I was giving last week where it's like, oh, you know, it's like Halo. And when you're on Xbox, you're running around, you're shooting Banished, and you're taking out outposts, and you're doing missions, and it's fun, classic Halo. But then when you're on your mobile phone, you are... Uh, in a UNSC outpost and you're trying to uh, use the touchscreen to fix up warthogs that have been damaged in battle by swapping out bad parts for good ones and you can just pop into the app and work on the vehicle and then boom, you're good to go and then next time you log into the game, you'll see warthogs populate the world and they're in beautiful shiny working condition you get xp points and all this shit and special achievements because you played that thing on your phone and it's gimmicky and stupid and everyone hates it that's where mind brain my brain goes and i assume that's where most kind of bandwagony gimmicky developers will go with this kind of concept initially but i think count skyler is right here that at some point there's going to be someone with the vision someone with the creative ability someone who just gets it all right when the stars align and they come up with something really special, there's going to be like a destiny kind of moment where it's like, this shouldn't work. On paper, this sounds kind of redundant, but kind of stupid, but kind of meaningless. But when you play it, boom, it clicks. And now a whole thing has been created. And I think as soon as we get that first game that defines what this capability uh, can be all about, I think that's when it goes from dumb gimmick to, oh, that's kind of cool. I like that. Because you're going to, because yes, it might be annoying when, Fortnite does it. It might be annoying when Far Cry 27 does it. It might be annoying when Assassin's Creed... Let's pick on Ubisoft because they just make the same game over and over again. It might be annoying when Assassin's Creed, Ghost Recon, Far Cry, and uh, Tom Clancy's The Division, uh, but without Splinter Cell, you know, does it again and again and again. But eventually there's going to be that game that resonates with you, that clicks with you. For me, it's going to be Sonic. It's going to be like, oh yeah, when you're on the Xbox, you got to go fast. You're pressing the X to boost. You're jumping over robots. It's Sonic the Hedgehog. You love it. You know it. It's good. But then, when you're on your mobile phone, it's a furry dating sim. And yeah, you can build relationships with characters in the Sonic universe. You can try to swoon tails and get them to go on a date with you and maybe even get a kissy kiss from him. And then when you get back on your Xbox after a long day of work being on your phone all day, you might log back in and be like, okay, I'm Sonic. I want to go fast again. But what's this? Oh, they remember all the dating sim shit from my iPhone earlier today when I was at work. And now when I'm going fast, I'm getting hit up by phone calls from Tails the Fox saying, hey, boy, you DTF. And I'll be like, what a great integration of mobile and conventional game console gaming. I love this. I love this. I love this marriage. And that's going to be the one that resonates with me. And for everyone, it's going to be something different. But I agree with this. If this if this technology really is here, it's ready, and people are able to take full advantage of it and do cool things with it, and it's accessible and ideal for working with, I think we're going to see someone lock this down, define it, and make it a thing we should care about. Even if right now our knee-jerk reaction is like, fuck, I don't want this game to follow me everywhere I go. So, I don't know. I, I, 
I, I enjoy that insight. I enjoy those takes. I enjoy that both my brother and Count Skyla had very different takes. So we're able to explore the spectrum of thoughts and feelings regarding this conversation. Thank you so much. Guys, I started playing Skyrim and now everyone suddenly is like, Jesse, good for you for playing the game that was very fun 10 years ago. So thank you for all of those who wrote in. Being very kind about me uh, getting into Skyrim after years of being a hypocrite and somewhat of a bully to people who've played Skyrim. So I appreciate that. Corey Long wrote in and says, sheds a single tear. Welcome to Elder Scrolls. I'm proud that you made the leap into the world of Skyrim. It cannot be your Halloween pick without the Dragonborn DLC. Merak is a very creepy individual with a pretty creepy world of its own. It struck a what the F slash gross chord with me, and it doesn't involve too much of the fantasy-like aspects that you're avoiding. Good luck. But are you going to pick Empire or Stormcloak? All right, first things first, Corey, thank you so much. I appreciate your kindness and welcoming into this world. Second of all, I have no fucking clue what Emperor, Empire slash Stormcloak are yet, so either I'm doing a bad job paying attention to the game or I haven't made it to that part yet, but I will say, I read your comment when you wrote it in, and I was like, oh, this is gonna, this is not gonna really make any sense by the time I record the podcast because Halloween will have been over by then. But nonetheless, I really appreciate the recommendation. And so maybe I should jump into the Dragonborn DLC. I'm like, well, maybe I need to finish the game first. And then I ended up just playing the Call of Duty Cold War Halloween event anyway. So, but I do, I do really appreciate um, the suggestion. And yes, you're right. I, I am interested in the content that is avoiding the creepy dwarfs and elves kissing and making fantasy tales connect and tangle up like avatar characters and again like in harry potter where they put the sock in someone's book and be like oh here's a sock wedged in your fucking algebra textbook you're no longer a slave enjoy your life Uh, i'm trying to avoid that creepy fantasy bullshit and so if there is a more spooky like dlc then i am interested i honestly normally i'd be like thanks Corey, uh but i'm probably not going to play the dlc i'm probably just going to run through the game and be done with it I'm enjoying Elder Scroll or I'm enjoying Skyrim enough that I probably am going to check out the DLC and I probably am going to try to do some other world shit in the game. So I do appreciate the recommendation and I will be uh, playing more and more. So stay tuned, please. If there's anything I need you to do, I need you to stay glued to your phone and say, when? When will Jesse tell me about how far he's gotten in Skyrim? My brother wrote in and says, you should do the guilds in Skyrim. They're like main story side quests, kind of. The Dark Brotherhood's the best one, but the Companions and Thieves Guild are great too. Now, I only know about what this is because I kind of accidentally got off the beaten path and started doing this shit without even knowing it. And of course, you had to tell me that. But yes, I guess I inadvertently am doing that, although I was trying to stick to the main quest. EA's King wrote in and says, make a clan or a guild in Elder Scrolls Online. Two... Fallout 76, exclamation mark, question mark, O dot L dot, angry emoji, angry emoji, surprise emoji, angry emoji, and it, it goes on and on like that. EA's King, I am going to give Elder Scrolls Online a try, not right this minute, I'm going to enjoy Skyrim played to its fullest, probably go back to Fallout 4, which I got 75% of the way through back when it came out, probably wrap that up, and then maybe jump into Fallout 76 or Elder Scrolls Online from there and give it another proper try. My brother was right. I gotta give him credit a second week in a row. These games are Xbox games. For some reason, I thought Bethesda games might feel better, might feel more natural if I play them on PC, because I always thought these games were at home on console when it came to Xbox, but really most at home when you play them on PC. From my experience, these are Xbox games for me. I want to play them on Xbox, so 
I'll get back to all that stuff. I'll give these games another try. I know I kind of rage quit on Fallout 76 that one night on the stream. I apologize for that. But I'll give it another try on an Xbox with a real controller in my hands, like a real goddamn man. And we'll see at that point in the future. Headhunting Halo says, Jesse, you're right, Elder Scrolls over Fallout. If people would actually take the time with Elder Scrolls, I bet they would like it more for sure. Well, Headhunting Halo, I don't know if, I, if you can say if people would just take the time because Skyrim is like one of the most profitable highly sold well-liked games of all time so clearly people have taken the time i think generally people do like elder scrolls more than fallout i feel like maybe in the i don't know I, I i think in general elder scrolls is a more popular franchise skyrim is definitely the best-selling bethesda first party game over any of the fallouts or anything like that for sure so i don't know i always thought i'd be a fallout guy over over elder scrolls but what i'm finding out is i don't know myself very well my brother wrote in in response to you guys and says fallout is definitely better than than elder scrolls games are but elder scrolls games are awesome fallout has a better world better decisions skyrim is a role-playing game with not much decision making at all maybe that's what i like about it new vegas ride or die you know what maybe that's what i like about skyrim is i don't have to make decisions i kind of hate making decisions in games i don't like i hate character creators i hate decision making i love when a game is like here is who you are, here is your plight in this fucking world, and here are the things you have to do. Now fucking do them, you get no say in the matter. I kind of prefer that in a game, so maybe that's part of what I'm liking about Elder Scrolls. I didn't even think about that, is that there's a lot more linearity to the um, interactions with characters than there is in, in Fallout, where you can be a little more like, uh, be like, oh, well, that's great, chap, here's a radio, it's 1950, but the nuclear bombs have gone off, and there's cockroaches and swamp rats running around killing everybody, and you're just like, well, old chap, I'm gonna go play a game with uh, the absolute worst fucking FPS controls in the history of humankind, where gunplay feels so miserable that I'd rather just use melee weapons for the remainder of my time with this game, but nonetheless, this game's gonna continue to sell millions of units, or I don't know. Fallout's great. I, I love the aesthetic of the concept of Fallout, but every time I've played them, I just, they just never stick with me, and it frustrates me because I want to be a fan. I want to believe. Final comment of the week comes from none other than the my boo, Dad Captain James, who poses a question that I should be asking myself that probably shouldn't should be the reality of the situation, but I'm dumb. So Cap, Dead Captain James writes in and says, Question, why don't you just live stream your gaming here on YouTube instead of Twitch? That's where the majority of your audience is at. Uh, Dead Captain James, uh, first of all, you're wrong. The majority of my audience is on Spotify. Second of all, you're right. It makes way more fucking sense to stream from YouTube instead of Twitch. And yes, I'm being a facetious asshole. I know what you meant. There are definitely a lot more subs on YouTube who could probably tune in than I have Twitch followers. But here's the thing, Dead Captain James. Jesse Brain equals tiny. So the way I see it is like, YouTube is for videos. Twitch is for elite gamers because you go to Twitch and the website is in dark mode and it has like the neon purple logo and everything about the styling and the layout and the aesthetic and the culture surrounding Twitch is very like elite X gamer in a room that's dark lit with neon glowing from your gaming PC. And I'm very into the RGB wearing a purple hoodie, socially incel type kind of culture that is cultivated and built around twitch and so i see twitch and i'm drawn to that because it pulls the vain aesthetic driven gamer in me and so i'm like that's where streaming must take place is twitch fuck youtube even though youtube makes more sense yes it's a little more sterile it's a little more mainstream and for everyone and 
probably gets me a better audience, better reach. But again, Jesse Brain equals tiny. Therefore, we got to do the one with the pretty colors, and that's Twitch. Now, of course, all of this would be a useless conversation altogether if Mixer were still alive and well, because you know damn well we would be streaming exclusively over on Mixer.com. But unfortunately, Mixer went the way of Groove and Windows Phone and everything I love in this world, and I miss you, Zune. And when you coming back, I left the keys under the mat to our front door for one more chance to hold you close. That's a reference to a song from 10 years ago. But anyway, that's going to do it for all of our comments. woo Red alert, red alert. We got actually emergency, last minute call. Tech Daddy has a, a new challenger approaches. Uh, Tech Daddy has just left a comment as I'm recording this video and says, uh, Jesse, I know when you record your podcast, I know you're not wearing pants right now. Stop what you're doing and pay attention to me. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I am incredibly disappointed that after you spent so much time talking about Halloween at the end of the podcast, and during the podcast, and during the entire month of October, you didn't end the podcast episode with power your screams. I'll still listen to the next episode, but only to hear you apologize. Well, no, Tech Daddy, the reason I'm not going to apologize is because I'm a big Disney fan, as you know, and the last thing I want to do is be sued by the Walt Disney Company. So if I said power your streams, and I'm not, I'm, I'm saying this for the sake of conversation, not, I'm not endorsing you to go power your streams. I would owe royalties to the Walt Disney Company. Why? Because Disney owns Pixar. Pixar owns Monsters Incorporated. And if you watched Monsters Incorporated, you fucking know that they power Monstropolis with screams. And I'm not here to speak on behalf of the fine folks of Monstropolis or the team at Pixar or the overlords at Disney and to endorse their products and their brand and their universe and their characters. And so if I tell you to go power your streams, your screams and say your streams or your dreams, it's not very Xbox of me. It's very Monsters, Inc. of me. And I'm sorry, I might look like a round little sack of shit that's balding, but I sure as hell ain't no Mike Wazowski. I got two eyes, one on the left and one center left. They're very off-center eyes, but that's still got two eyes. I'm not one... One fucking, who voices Mike Wazowski? I forget all the names of Hollywood people, but that's why I didn't say Power Your Screams. It absolutely had nothing to do with the fact that I just didn't think of it, and I left that on the table, and it was a clever joke that I could have used, and it was low-hanging fruit, but I missed it anyway because Jesse equals small brain. That's not the case at all. I knew what I was doing. It was a very conscious decision. Tech Daddy, good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for writing in, and that's going to do it for all of our comments, guys. So remember, for next week, you're thinking, wow, these comments are so thought-provoking. I would also love to tell Jesse to power his screams. But unfortunately, my hands are too weak to reach the keyboard and type out my question. Well, good for you. They got voice dictation now, so you can do that. So head on over to YouTube. Don't be shy. Reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about that, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. And guys, let me tell you, it's not that exciting of a week. So maybe calm down. Calm the fuck down. And I'll tell you. So I got to tell you something. Good Chinese food is so hard to find these days. And this is... So... A little context for you. Every Halloween night, my tradition is to order my favorite pizza, bunch of chicky wings, wait for the night to, 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 to fall upon us, and then just turn on all the lights, like the spooky Halloween lights and decorations in the place, and watch like the old Goosebumps show from the 90s or something stupid and campy like that. Something very Halloween-y, but also not scary and, 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 and gory or anything like that. And that's what I do every Halloween. It's a tradition that I love and I, I look forward to very much every year. 
Problem is, this year, I wasn't feeling pizza come Halloween because, well, the night before Halloween, I ate a Disney pizza entirely by myself, like a skinny, fit human being. And so come Halloween, the last thing I was wanting was more pizza. So I talked it over with the girlfriend, and we decided pizza is off the table this year. Yes, it's taboo, but it's the reality of what we were facing in that point in time. So we decided what would be a great alternative. And you know what I thought? I thought, I fucking love Chinese takeout. It's so, you know, living here in Orlando, it's just not as readily available, but we're going to do it. We're, we're trying. We've been spending these past two years trying to figure out where to get good Chinese food. So tonight's what I've been eating is meant to serve as kind of a parable for you guys. Uh, this is what happens when you leave Georgia and you move to Florida. So in Georgia, just a real quick cap, we won't go too heavy hand in this, but in, in Georgia, in Atlanta and the greater Atlanta area, there is there is this, one of the big perks, one of the big draws to living there is there is quite a good, I'll say both of these things because I miss both desperately. There is a good Asian and Mexican uh, population in and around Atlanta. Asian more specifically being like, Vietnamese and Korean, and then and then Mexican population as well. There is this famous area near Atlanta. It goes into Atlanta, whatever, in and out of Atlanta, Metro Atlanta, called Buford Highway. And anyone who's familiar with um, Atlanta or the Atlanta scene is familiar with Buford Highway. This is essentially this long road that cuts through, like, I don't even know anymore. It's, I've, it's been so long, I don't even know the names of the roads and the towns anymore. But it is this long-ass road that goes through many towns and this is where like the like the the majority of like korean or vietnamese or mexican owned businesses are so there are tons of excellent farmers markets amazing mexican restaurants pho shops korean bakeries korean barbecue spots hot pot places even so there's you know a decent amount of like chinese options as well there's also tons of asian supermarkets shout out to h mart i miss you every fucking day apparently they're building one in orlando but god knows when that'll be and i i desperately miss this stuff so so much they were because in it's one of those things where it's like oh you got good quote-unquote cultural food therefore other things follow so there are also lots of good chinese restaurants great dim sum places great like legit authentic like cantonese restaurants and shit like that and i guess i always took it for granted growing up that like you know i'm sure like if i go to korea or vietnam or mexico or wherever i can get better food that represents these countries no shit but growing up in georgia you know, in North Georgia, getting like really good Mexican food or getting like really good Korean food or something like that is actually not hard at all. It's very commonplace. And I guess I just never really understood it. This food is readily available. There's plenty of it, plenty of places to try out, plenty of new food types to get into. And these restaurants are all generally pretty affordable. And when I moved to Florida, you know, I was excited. I was like, you know, Florida has a lot of like West Indies culture. has like a lot of Puerto Rican culture, a lot of Cuban culture. So I was like, I can't wait to get into like that kind of food here. The thing is in Florida, you like, especially where I live near all the tourist shit, all that immediately goes out the window. And you're basically left with just like chain restaurants and, you know, th in this fucking place and like kind of half-assed pizza place and kind of half-assed Chinese takeout and kind of half-assed like vaguely Hispanic place and some of these places are good some of these places are whatever I actually love chain restaurants for the most part it's not a problem for me but all these places are like wait we're like within spitting distance of Disney okay that means we can charge an arm and a leg for everything so 
all like it's so weird like all of the and, and i'm talking specifically about chinese food now but all the quote-unquote chinese restaurants around where i live all share this thing where like one they're not chinese restaurants they're like vaguely asian restaurants where they're like yeah we do korean barbecue and pho and hot pot and sushi and pad thai and all this shit it's like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. pick a place on the goddamn map and stick with it so they try to and it, it's it's cool to have the variety but it quickly becomes that thing of like jack of all trades master of none so where the food is like good but nothing's great and then the other thing is everything's really expensive so my girlfriend and i have been trying to find like really good vietnamese food really good chinese food and we've gone like really far out to like weird places like in the outskirts of orlando just to try and find like more legit places that aren't so close to the tourist attractions and even then it's like I find good places, but nothing exceptional. Like, don't even get me started on the ramen scene here. Like, there's nothing above, like, fine or seven out of ten here. So this is this is my big struggle. It's it's the lack of great Asian cuisine in general. This week we're talking Chinese food. So there's this thing. I don't know if this is what it's technically called, but it's like chow fun. It's like a noodle thing. It's like a beef noodle thing where like the noodles are like they kind of look like little squares, like little thin sheets, little squares. And it's in tons of bean sprouts and stuff. But, like, this dish is, like, so fucking addicting. It's so good, but so fun to eat. And I miss it, and I love it. And I used to get at this Cantonese restaurant all the time. So my girlfriend and I are looking for a place where we can find this. And so, of course, because it's here and restaurants are the way they are here, it just so happens to be at a place that calls itself a pho restaurant, but most of its restaurants like, Chinese takeout. And it also has, like, Japanese udon and stuff. So, like, whatever. The menu's all over the place. Who gives a shit? Let's try it out. The prices are, like, double what they would be if you went to, like, just a regular Chinese takeout place in Atlanta. And the meat, like, you order the fucking dish, and it has, like, a quarter of the meat that it otherwise normally would have if you ordered this, like, anywhere else. And this is, like, the common occurrence. It's, like, I try all these Chinese places, and it's, like, why does, like, the $8 lo mein cost $15 here? Why does, you know, this, like, lo mein or fucking whatever that tastes... Almost the same like any generic Chinese takeout place you go to suddenly tastes significantly worse here. Why is there like almost no meat in this dish despite the fact that you're charging me almost twice the price of what other places would be charging for this dish? Like I don't, these are the questions you got to ask yourself. So we went to this place that claims to be a pho restaurant, but mostly has Chinese food. And we very surprised by the variety on the menu, by the types of dishes on there. But man, it was super overpriced. The food was actually pretty decent, but the like meat portion was like so pathetically small. And I walked away being like, okay, that that scratched the itch. That hit the spot. It it it, it hit that like I've been craving this kind of food itch. So I was glad to have it and happy to pay the money for it. But like, man, I'm just so much used to paying way less, getting better quality food, getting more meat, and just I don't know, overall having a better experience. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is, guys. If you're planning on moving to Orlando, Florida, and chances are you aren't, be aware, your experience finding good Asian food in general is just about to get a lot more challenging. And, and I have this problem with Mexican food in particular as well. But again, there's I, I, at the same time, I'm like, okay, well, Orlando, they're trying to appeal to the tourist market. Also, like the Mexican population, the Vietnamese population, the Korean population, the Chinese population here relative to where I'm from is like kind of minuscule. So it sucks. It sucks. I want there to be like a government program that like entices people from other cultures to start moving here with the exception that like you got to open a really good restaurant <laughs> with reasonable prices. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the fucking plan here is, but Orlando, I love this city. I'm so happy to live here. Don't want to live anywhere else. You got to kick it up with the fucking 
Asian food game. Like, we got to get better at this. Like, I am by no means a connoisseur of any food. Uh, I, do, I don't know good from bad. For God's sake, I love McDonald's and Taco Bell. But we can do better than this. So, speaking of bad, I literally went to an Applebee's on Friday night, not to eat there, just to try Mountain Dew Darkberry, which is a Mountain Dew flavor that's exclusive to Applebee's right now. It's basically just Mountain Dew Pitch Black, which was the great flavor Mountain Dew they used to sell at stores every Halloween. It's good. Nice to have access to it. I'm not going to Applebee's to get this motherfucker. You know, if I'm going to go to a place even in close to the realm of an Applebee's, you know damn well I'm going to TGI Friday. So nice try, Applebee's. You're not getting me with this half-ass Mountain Dew shit, but that's what I've been eating. Guys, please, if for whatever reason you have a recommendation, you have a solution to my my, my crisis here, please speak up. Now, as for what I've been playing, I guess, because this is an Xbox podcast, if you will. Well, we already talked about it a little bit. I've been playing Skyrim. I'm just kind of chipping away at that. At this point, you know, we're starting to get in the real thick of like the, the fall season with all the games releasing. So Skyrim's kind of being relegated right now to like my stream game. It's the game I'm playing Mondays and Thursdays when we're streaming, but I'm still playing it a little bit on weekends. I'm really enjoying the hell out of it. I have no intention of putting this game down and not seeing it all the way through the end. So really loving the hell out of that. I don't know what else to say. I don't remember if I already said this last weekend, but I knew I, or last week, but I know I, I tweeted it out at some point. Uh, I don't know if I've ever been more wrong in my entire life when it comes to a game because Skyrim is a game I've just written off and just shrugged off and not given a shit about for so long. And it's just so my thing. I just love it so much that, you know, it's like one apologies to anyone I ever picked on for liking Skyrim Two apologies to myself for robbing myself of this experience for so long. And uh, three, shut the fuck up. No more, no more humbling. No more, no more owning up to my shit at this point. Okay. So I'm really enjoying it. It, it kind of scratches that itch that RuneScape used to kind of get for me when I was like 12 and I used to play a lot of RuneScape. I don't know if anyone else would ever say that or, or or feels that. I don't know if that's like a relatable, understandable thing to say, but I'm sure we all have examples of things where it's like this kind of reminds me of this, even if. A and B aren't necessarily related, um, but Skyrim is definitely like, I don't know, it kind of it kind of brings me back to like being in fifth or sixth grade and playing RuneScape again. So it's kind of it's kind of a nice way to like reconnect with my youth in a way. <laughs> Other than that, like I said, Black Ops Cold War, they did a lot of Halloween event stuff this past week. So I've been playing into that, really just trying to enjoy some some Halloween content. Really good stuff. They did a pretty damn good job with their Halloween offerings this year on Black Ops and uh had a good time with that. We even streamed a bit of it last week. Um, I also re-downloaded Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2019 because I, I do this like once every five months. I'll da- I'll I'll spend a week trying to download this one fucking file. It's a million gigabytes just to play it a little bit and be like, oh yeah, that's why I don't like this game that much. It's so it's so weird because Modern Warfare 2019 is a great game. It had a great campaign. I get why people love it. It is visually a great looking game. And it is fun, but like it's just a little too great, a little too realistic, a little too serious, a little too tactical for the way I like a Call of Duty, which is why I gravitate towards Black Ops so much because it's just so pick up and play and arcadey and running gun and stupid in Black Ops. Whereas Modern Warfare is just like it's the epitome of that Call of Duty experience where it's like spawn, walk into a room, boom, I died and I don't even know what hit me. Okay, spawn, walk in. 10 steps forward, boom, I got sniped. I didn't even see where the fuck that was coming from. And there's just so much of that, like, get good sweaty shit going on with Modern Warfare 2019 that I just feel like I can't play it. Even if I want to, I cannot play it. So, it's a good game. Like, the guns feel good. It looks pretty. They did a great job making this game. It's just, eh. 
Also, I feel like camping is way more of an issue on that game than it is in Black Ops. Just saying. Anyway, guys, that's what I've been playing this week. Without, you know, we're pretty far in. Let's just jump into the news. Okay, you guys ready? Three, two, one. Bloop. All right. You know, now that I think about it, I did have good hot pot once with my boo Hunter. Shout out to Hunter. Okay, news time. So, VGC, my favorite site to source these days. I still love you too, Windows Central. But VGC coming in hot with all the good scoops this week. Starting out, some Sega Microsoft news. It's like a real Jesse-oriented news week. Sega has announced it's agreed a strategic alliance with Microsoft, which will see the Japanese gaming giant developer use, or sorry, develop games using Xbox's firm's Azure cloud platform. The deal, which Sega said on Monday, has agreed in principle, will see it produce large-scale global games in a next-generation development environment built on Microsoft's Azure cloud platform. Sega said that the alliance would be a key part in its mid to long term strategy, allowing the business to move forward with, quote, Super Game, a new initiative for developing titles that will focus on pillars of global online community and IP utilization, all in quotes. These are different goals, focuses, pillars Sega is looking towards. This proposed alliance represents Sega looking ahead, the company's statement reads. And by working with Microsoft to anticipate such trends such as accelerated future, uh, further in the future, the goal is to optimize development process and continue to bring high-quality experience to players through Azure Cloud Technologies. It added, Microsoft and Sega have agreed upon the foundation for this alliance through the mutual cooperation, and it will look to build further technological evolutions in this area, such as the network infrastructure and the communication tools required for global online services being a key priority. Additionally, by shifting the next generation development platform, Sega can effectively adapt and diversify work styles and potential infrastructure changes. Now, Microsoft's CVP, Sarah Bond, who we've seen a lot of lately, she's been really moving up the ranks in the company, uh, commented on on in a prepared statement saying that Sega has played such an iconic role in the games industry and has been a tremendous partner over the years. We look forward to working with them and exploring new ways to create unique gaming experiences for the future using Microsoft Cloud Technologies. Together, we will reimagine how games are built, hosted, and operated with the goal of adding value to players and Sega alike. Sega is planning to release what it's calling Super Game within the next five years, according to recent uh, a recent presentation, which suggests that Sega is preparing Super Game. It will also release a number of new projects over the course of the next five years, including a new FPS titled uh, at a European studio, likely Creative Assembly, and utilization of IP assets in remakes, reboots, and masters. remasters. Microsoft has been openly licensing its cloud service technology to game companies in recent years. Microsoft and Sony even announced a partnership back in 2019, which we talked about extensively at the time, which will result in PlayStation make, uh, Maker using Azure technology data centers uh, for cloud gaming content streaming services. Cloud gaming continues to be an important pillar for the Xbox business. Microsoft has already off already offers cloud gaming on mobile devices and PC and has said that it will launch console games streaming this holiday. Now, that is a large chunk of a new story to read, but we had to go through this all because this is a story that is very exciting to the consumer on paper and at face value, but I think once you dig in, you realize it's a lot less of an exciting consumer-facing story than we may have previously thought. So the first thing I want to say here is that obviously the persistent rumors for a while have been Sega is not done, or Microsoft is not done acquiring um, developers for its Xbox first-party lineup, and they are looking largely to Japan. And so we've talked about it, we've ruminated on it, we've speculated on this for quite a while. Who could it be? Who could it be? Capcom, Konami, Sega, blah, blah, blah. And of course, 
I am even guilty to a large extent here uh, in, uh, within this small audience of, you know, woo, how cool would it be if they got Sega, then we could have Sonic and Master Chief at the Winter Olympic Games. Listen, we all want it. We all need it. We all are excited by the prospect of another Bethesda tier announcement. Like, wait, Microsoft bought who? You know, Microsoft got what? So immediately the knee-jerk reaction to this news is like, whoa, Microsoft and Sega, look at this partnership. Holy shit, they're like getting closer and closer together every day. Yep, confirmed, Microsoft is getting Sega. They're buying Se No, Microsoft and Sega have a good relationship. They have a pretty, pretty good relationship. In fact, I would say that Sega, unless I'm missing something here, is probably... Uh, the Japanese company that Microsoft has the the Xbox has the strongest relationship um, with, you know, in terms of trying to get Xbox in Japan, trying to get Japanese content on Xbox and all that. So this is not a crazy surprise, and that that they're doing things like this, right? Because we know Microsoft is trying to get uh, Azure technology and services into more companies and and trying to work with other players in the game space. So the first thing I want to mention is. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of being all over the place with this. Right, let's, let's put it like this. This article clearly talks about not the possibility of working together to build a new game. Microsoft, you know, building a new game or funding a new game. It doesn't talk about Microsoft potentially buying Sega or getting exclusive content or anything like that. These are the kinds of things, the stories that would maybe lend credence to like, oh, is, is Microsoft getting Sega? You know, it would be like, oh, the new Sonic game is exclusive to Xbox or the new Yakuza game is exclusive to Xbox. That would be the kind of news. Like Persona is finally coming to Xbox for the first time. These would be the kind of stories that would be like, okay, there's something going on between Xbox and Sega. I think this story is more of Xbox getting another account in in an industry they're already look with a pride they're already looking to expand and work more with in the games industry, which is selling Azure services to big players in the game space. Like like this story mentions, we talked about this when it happened. Not Xbox and PlayStation, but Sony and Microsoft and Sony announced a partnership in 2019 where Sony was going to be using Microsoft's Azure services to help kind of build and utilize cloud infrastructure for their platform with PlayStation, with other services at Sony. So this isn't about necessarily just video games. This is about companies are evolving and the industry is changing and we need more, we need more power, more dynamic ways to develop and, and to build the games we build and the thing and, and do the things we do, create the systems and the games and the abilities, whatever. It's so hard for me to talk about this stuff because clearly I'm not very tech savvy with this more granular, nerdy, techy shit. But it's not just a matter of building very powerful games using very powerful computers. It's now a, a thing of using webs, using cloud services to do really crazy shit, you know, computing power and processing things in your games that can only be done through the cloud, um, building assets and working remotely and doing all these kinds of things that are made possible and made easier through working with cloud services. And Microsoft has been very aggressive in trying to get out there with companies, especially game companies, and trying to be a big player in that space. So does this in some way maybe stem from Xbox's and Sega's good relationship? Probably. Does this in some way help Xbox uh, in some form or fashion? Probably. But this is a lot more about Microsoft selling its cloud service to a company, a partner, Sega, than it is about Xbox potentially being interested in buying Sega. So Microsoft has really, really been pushing this thing they call GameStack, which I'm not going to lie and say I fully understand all of it exactly, but 
GameStack is something they've been talking about extensively for the past year or so. And it's basically this set of developer, this like developer toolkit, if you will, that's supposed to be like um like a all like an all solutions, like a uh, like a cloud-based set of of solutions for companies working in game development. So the idea is that using Azure cloud services, using um, other Microsoft programs that help with games like their own Havoc physics engine or, or you know, working with, um, what's it called, Visual Studios for, for game developers and things like that. Microsoft owns all the services, all the products, all the infrastructure to really make it easier, more accessible, and and to give, you know, give developers and, and publishers the tools necessary to build games, to... Um, to maintain games and servers and to, you know, kind of develop all the different aspects using their, their platform. And that's the thing they pushed a lot. It's like, you can use some of our stuff. You can use all of our stuff, but game stack is essentially a tool set for developers to make game development easier, more accessible, more like take on and offload things that you do and don't need here and there. And I, th- I think that's a lot of what this is about. Sega is looking, Sega is looking at the next generation of, of gaming and saying, okay, what are the things we want our games to have going forward? And they're saying a lot of this computing, and, and we don't know what this looks like, you know, t- on the consumer end, right? It's all just kind of talk, right? We see a lot of publishers and developers talking about how you need cloud computer processing to to develop some of the ideas and the games that these developers are looking to create. Like I just said, I don't I don't know what that looks like. Many of us don't know what that looks like, but this is clearly something a lot of developers are chasing in an effort to create the next generation experience. You know, we we saw oh now it's from eight bit to sixteen bit. Now it's from two D to three D. Now it's from standard definition to HD. Now it's from like linear to open world. And and so as we continue to see games evolve with every generation and become more boundary pushing, more technologically just insanely capable we look to stronger forms of technology to do that and GameStack and azure and all these platforms and services through microsoft enable developers to make to to accomplish these things and for, to make these things more accessible and easier and digestible and affordable and accessible in general to these companies so that's really what this is about like i said i'm sure a lot of this agreement sparked from Xbox having a great relationship with Sega and therefore using that as a way for Microsoft to get in and get this. But at the same time, I don't think this means Microsoft is going to buy Sega. Now, does this benefit them? Of course, if you own the cloud infrastructure and the services and the software that powers you know, Sega's cloud system and Sony's cloud system and all these games and they're developing you know, all these games and all these technologies and using these engines and and, and these game development tools that are owned by Microsoft and that are offered through Microsoft. Microsoft is going to learn a lot. They're going to get a lot of telemetry. They're going to get a lot of information to know how games are being developed. What are the pinch points? What are, where, where are these, sorry, pain points where they can make things easier for other developers, which will in turn make things easier for Xbox's developers. So, do they get a lot of insight? Do they get a lot of data? Do they get a lot of benefit? And then, of course, just a lot of money from these people, these companies having to pay Microsoft to use these services and have these features? Yes. So it's good for Microsoft. But there are indirect ways in which it benefits Xbox. Maybe, you know, having this stuff be all 
more integrated through Microsoft's services and systems. It makes developing games inherently easier for Xbox, inherently easier for xCloud, inherently easier for PC. After all, these are all platforms that rely heavily on cloud storage and on cloud infrastructure and on streaming and things like that. So yes, maybe in a way this is kind of a Trojan horse type ordeal where Xbox can make it easier and more enticing than ever before for Sega to just make that game that's very cloud dependent just yeah maybe it's xbox exclusive or game pass exclusive because it's just easier to develop for that when that's the toolkit and the systems you're already using and you know it, it just works so intuitively and easy with xbox's ecosystem so i'm sure there are many benefits in many ways that this helps xbox microsoft and helps strengthen this relationship between xbox and sega but this was not a lot of people wanted to see this as like a, oh this is the hint Things are moving forward. Xbox is going to buy Sega. Just you wait and see. I don't think this was that. I think this was more of a strategic business decision between Microsoft and Sega. So Sega, you know, gets the the tools they need for game for future game development, and Microsoft gets another business partner in 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 selling Azure's services and and uh, programs and everything there. I do want to just make. Kind of, I just set the expectation with this story and cool things off because while it is exciting to be like, oh, cool, you know, I, I've hypocritically said a million times before, I want Xbox to stop buying everything in the games industry with the exception of maybe Sega. Although that's very exciting and enticing to think about, you know, like I've said a million times, there's so much history between Xbox and Sega. It just kind of makes sense in a way. It, you know, when you really think about it, Xbox is like the spiritual successor to uh, Sega's hardware initiatives and everything. I just, I love that. I love the idea of seeing my blue blur and my uh, and my Spartan 117 being brothers in arms in the, in the same eco space. But ultimately, that's not what this story is about. I think uh, arguing about this possibly being a way in for Xbox to acquire Sega is just... I think really misled and, and, and misguided. Um, so just to kind of set the expectation, be realistic about what we're seeing here. This is Sega saying, Hey, we have this initiative called super game where we want to develop games that are really focused on online aspects, community aspects, games as a service type things, utilizing our, our IP in, in new ways. And in order to build these kinds of experiences and games, we need powerful online services. We need cloud infrastructure. And Microsoft is one of the top dogs in that in that space. You know, you got Microsoft, you got Amazon. There aren't many other players. So I think this, again, to round out, a lot more to do with Microsoft than it does Xbox per se. But I mean, I really didn't think I was going to struggle that much with talking about that story, but I guess I did. <laughs> All right, our second story here moving forward. VGC reports that Microsoft have detailed their vision for the metaverse. Now, I don't oh, fucking talk, oh. including plans to create 3D gaming applications for Xbox. So during Microsoft's Ignite conference this past week, uh, its annual Ignite conference, CEO Satya Nadella said that the company intends to bring the digital and physical worlds together with a new series of applications incorporating virtual environments. He said, when we talk about the metaverse, we're describing a new platform and new application type similar to how we talked about web and websites in the early 90s, Nadella said during a keynote speech. In a sense, the metaverse enables us to embed computing into the real world and to embed the real world into computing, bringing real presence to any digital space. For years, we've talked about creating digital representation of the world, but now we are actually at the opportunity to go into the world and participate in it. What's most important is that we are able to bring our humanity with us. We choose where we want 
and how we want to experience this world, who we want to interact with. I can't overstate how much of a breakthrough this is. It's no longer just looking at a camera view uh, of the factory floor. You can be on the floor. It's not. It's it's no longer just about video conferencing with your colleagues. You can be with them in the same room. It's no longer about playing games with friends. You can be in the game with them. While Microsoft's metaverse efforts are initially focused on corporate applications, Nadella told Bloomberg that it has plans for Xbox as well. You can absolutely expect to see us do things in gaming, he says. If you take Halo, for example, in the metaverse, Minecraft, it's met, it's a metaverse, and, and so is Flight Sim. In some sense, they are 2D today, but the question is, can you now take that to a full 3D world? And we absolutely plan to do so. So similar to the last story, this is a story that is a lot more Microsoft-centric than it is Xbox-centric. So I'm going to try to talk about this more from the perspective of Xbox, or sorry, of, uh, of, of Microsoft, because I think that's the way it's most realistic and the way to better interpret this. Now, listen, Xbox... God, I only struggle with this when I'm podcasting, I swear to God. Microsoft is, of course, you know, one of the big tech companies. And these companies are very aspirational. They're always R&Ding some crazy fucking Skynet shit. There's always some ideal utopian society where everything in the world runs off their crazy technology and we're living the iRobot future or whatever the fuck. But the thing to keep in mind is, so often, and, and this is especially true with Microsoft. I mean, look at the Xbox One. Microsoft gets really ahead of themselves with their aspirational kind of mentality. They're very insular, kind of nerdy, techie attitude towards things. And they misread the room in terms of what the market is actually ready for. And so I don't know if any of you guys saw this, but they showed this Microsoft metaverse, which is obnoxious it's just basically expanded talk for their mesh initiative which we even talked about in this podcast not too long ago and what mesh basically is is it's a way of evolving um virtual meetings so obviously today you think about virtual meeting you think of like a teams call or a zoom call because zoom got really popular or a skype call traditionally or maybe a facetime call right there are phone calls, there are video conference calls, but that's largely the extent of like, hey, you're in fucking, I don't know, India, and I'm in California, and we need to work together on this project, this this thing. How do we meet up? And so we have our traditional tools. You can screen share. You can see each other through a webcam. You can look through the screen and see that person and hear that person, but it's limited, right? It's not, it's not ever going to be the same as like, well, what if we were actually here? And Microsoft is always very, very aspirational with these things. And their whole attitude, their initiative with Mesh is essentially that, you know, just to recap, is essentially that using any, anything. It's AR headsets, whether it's Microsoft's own um, HoloLens headset, which does exist despite the fact that people think it was never released, or any type of VR headset like Oculus or whatever. And this is talking about more in the PC space where you would be able to ideally just build an avatar for yourself and be in that world. So rather than getting on Microsoft Teams and just having a traditional video conference, now you would be able to put on your headset or put on your AR headset and superimpose this world where, you know, let's say 
you're having a conference with someone and he's in a mechanic shop, right? You're like video conferencing with your mechanic from home. And he's like, for some reason, you're using Microsoft Teams because that's what apparently your local like Joe's mechanic shop is doing. He's like, all right, let me show you what's going on with the vehicle. And you have your headset on and all of a sudden your avatar is in this 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 workspace. And, you know, the mechanic's there and he's showing you around the car. He's like, see this thing right here? This thing bursts. We need to order this part to replace this. I don't know why I brought it from an example about two coworkers to an example about some guy getting his car fixed. But I, I don't know. Fucking the, the human brain is, is a goddamn mystery. But the idea is that it, it, it blurs the line between that digital, you know, that digital gap and that real that real presence of being there a little more where like you can walk around this space now. You can see you know, through the camera in a 3D environment, this place and what's going on and what they're showing you. And you can pick up and interact with objects digitally and point to things and, and get close up, up to things, and get new angles and viewpoints and feel closer to that actual human by be, being near their avatar and seeing their facial expressions. And they can see yours. They can see your hand movements. And it's all a much more simulated but natural feeling kind of interaction of like it's almost like we're right here rather than it's almost like I see you through the camera and so yes this is like another one of those slow steps into the future where we got fucking Star Wars holograms and all that good shit but we're not there yet and Microsoft is always a very aspirational company and yes they hope that this becomes a thing in the future that people take to it and care about this and this matters and it blows up and becomes the next you know evolution in technology and me as an aspirational tech enthusiast see this kind of shit and I go wow that'd be so fucking cool but chances are this doesn't take off because big corporations are really fucking stingy and really cheap and really shitty and unimaginative and uninventive and they go nah Windows XP is just fine we'll just keep putting up with the same bullshit from 25 years ago and you'll just keep using data technology and these kinds of te- these kinds of features and systems will never truly take off or materialize so that is a very real possibility so i just want to under- i just want to set the stage for yes we're talking about video games but this is the true application for a technology like this and microsoft is saying of course we have plans to use this for uh, for gaming as well but the thing is we don't know if that'll ever come to fruition i don't know if you guys remember this but I want to say this was the early Xbox One days during Connect 2. I could be wrong. It could be late 360. But they, it was, I believe, at an E3 showcase, Microsoft had this demonstration where there was like a Connect type of, uh, uh, Connect type, maybe this was for HoloLens, uh, experience where it was like a Halo, like UNSC Spartan facility. And I think it was HoloLens and Connect together, but like basically the AR superimposed this like this like UNSC base or like Spartan outpost thing and you could see it was like like an interactive inter- exhibit thing and you could like see Spartans and walk up to them and see how tall they were and inspect the different the different art assets and character models and things like that and the idea was it, what they were teasing was that maybe one day you'll be sitting on the couch playing Halo but thanks to augmented reality you'll see Halo on more than just your TV you'll see the environment expand around your TV and in the room and when an explosion goes off you'll see it on more than just the TV you'll see it like right in front of your face and when you know 
when like an enemy falls and drops to the floor, you might see them on the actual ground in your living room because AR or VR or whatever, it can immerse you further into that environment. And this was a very exciting thing at the time that never materialized into anything. Well, this is the reality of companies like Microsoft is they're not working on these things and then abandoning them. They're always working on these things. It's just a matter of, Will the market respond to this if we put this out there now? Will the mar- market give a shit about this now? Is it is the technology feasible and affordable enough that we can make this, we can put this into something that would be available for the market to consume and to buy? And that's kind of what we're dealing with here. So I don't see this story immediately and be like, okay, in the next two to three years, you're going to see some serious VR and AR initiative within Xbox. No. But I do see it as they hope to implement these kinds of things uh, into VR and AR in the future. It's just a matter of how mesh kind of takes off, if it materializes, if it becomes a thing, if people adopt these services, and if they can get this into hardware that is affordable enough, reasonable enough, attractive enough, appealing enough, accessible enough to consumers that they can actually market and sell this product. They're not looking to make another connect, you know, another thing that people are like, oh, well, it doesn't work 100% of the time. It's kind of gimmicky and who cares? So that's kind of the risk they run with things like this is it's kind of like when HoloLens was announced. It's not that the technology isn't going to materialize. It's that it might just end up being a niche thing. It might be for specific industries. It might just be too expensive for the mass market. There's a lot of potential it might be. You know, a lot of people don't know know this, but HoloLens did come out. In fact, they made a second one and it does very well, but it's a thing that's used in like the engineering industry and medical industry and educational and it's a very niche expensive thing and it's they kind of open sourced it to where like the, you can buy the headset from Microsoft but it's very modular and very like um, they can they can kind of tailor the device to the industry that's ordering it and kind of make it its own thing so it's not like this one size fits all thing that you go into a Best Buy and purchase and and use at home but it does exist. It does do well. And actually, the U.S. government bought a shit ton of them for the military. And uh, it just never materialized and, and made the move to gaming despite being marketed that way. And I, I think there's a possibility that that's what this is. This is a, another thing that they tell us there's a gaming push for. They tell us there's an intent for gaming. We like to think about it and get excited and tantalized about all the possibilities with this with this technology and gaming. But in all reality... If they can't find a way to make this work, to sell to consumers, to make it affordable, to make it accessible, to get to gauge proper interest, it's probably never going to really happen, or at least not anytime soon. This is more hype for the company's initiatives than it is a genuine promise for technology that is imminent, if that makes sense. So I love to get excited about these things, but I've just seen this, this ebb and flow so many times that I know how to kind of temper my expectations when you see this. If you haven't, you know, I did a terrible job kind of explaining this stuff. If you haven't, look it up. Look up the Microsoft Metaverse uh, video from earlier this week. I don't know why they're calling it Metaverse. I don't know why everyone's saying Metaverse all, all of a sudden. Uh, it's basically just Microsoft's mesh service expanded. It is very, very cool technology. The The Microsoft Teams demonstration they showed where it was like this girl who was doing a um, basically had like a HoloLens and she was basically just doing a meeting um, with her office remotely and her avatar was in like this digital office space that that the software supports and they're basically able to just like chill out and play a game of pool on the pool table or ping pong or go into the office and share files and see things like it's like that kind of stuff it's like using the shit on your computer but trying to make a real world case out of it you know 
on your computer, it's like, I'm on a Teams call with someone. I want to share this Word document I've been working on. I can attach the Word document to a Teams chat. The person on the other end can open up the document. We can screen share. We can see each other through the camera. But it is very digital, very, very disconnected because it's not an in-person personal experience. The whole intention of this is it's like you're doing the same things you do on a computer, but now you are feeling like you're existing in this virtual space. You are picking up files and handing them to people and interacting with things in a way that feels more lifelike, more natural, rather than clicking on a desktop to go into file management, open this folder, select this document, attach, send. It's more like open up this drawer in the office, pull up this file, whatever it is. You know, it's probably never going to actually work in that way with that kind of realism and fluidity. But the idea is that we're slowly working towards this future of like, think about the functions and the features of a computer and picture if those were real things you were doing in the real world, not on a computer, but in the real space. And that's kind of this line Microsoft is trying to blur. That's kind of this intention of mesh altogether. And applying that technology to video games is incredible. It's incredibly tantalizing. It's incredibly exciting. It's just not very... I mean, think about think about what the Xbox Series X is. You know, it came out seven years after the Xbox One. It's the most powerful console ever made, sure. It's very fast. It's very capable. It's very powerful, sure. But in seven years, we went from playing games like Titanfall 1 and Wolfenstein the New Order and all these OG Xbox One games that came out early in the generation, which looked and played great, to getting Xbox Series X, which looks and plays great, and now we're playing games like Halo Infinite, a Microsoft Flight Simulator, and yeah, are the graphics better? Is the technology improved? Is it more advanced and more next-gen and all those things? Yes, but we're not fundamentally interfacing with games in a way that's so different now that like, wow, seven years ago, we would have never saw this coming. It's just hard to imagine gaming is about to experience this evolution or revolution in that the way we interact with people in the workspace and through Microsoft Teams and through computers and, and things like that is about to evolve in such a way that it'll be analogous to like the introduction of the smartphone or the introduction of the internet. It's just it's just very implausible. So definitely something to be excited about just for the sake of where the minds are at at Microsoft and what, what they hope to accomplish. But it's just not really that realistic to think oh yeah we're we're almost there boys and girls we're about to be at the part where like you you log in and you fucking ready player one this motherfucker it's just not how this is more than likely going to work um whatever microsoft they they do try to make these things a reality they have they used to they haven't done one in a while but they used to like every five years they did one like 2009, 2014, 20, whatever. And, and they they would be like these Microsoft Visions videos where they're just these concept videos displaying like where Microsoft sees the future of technology and how people will live and work and play and interact in the future utilizing the technology of the respective time. And so it's like kind of aspirational. It's like where Microsoft ideally in a perfect world would like to be in five years from now. And they used to rev- release these videos all the time. They were really exciting. They were really cool. You can look them up on YouTube. They, they're still out there. They're really awesome. And it'd, it'd just be like a video of like a girl gets a cab and then she pulls out her phone, but her phone looks like a fucking like sci-fi data pad and like it's like holographic and then she gets out of the cab and she pulls out like a different tablet device that looks like a newspaper but she unfolds the newspaper and it's like an interactive touch display and she can fold the pages and fold the display and roll it out like a placemat and things like that like they'll have like a band and like earbuds and stuff that do like all these weird holographic futuristic things Microsoft does try to like to the restraints of modern technology and mass market appeal try to make these things a reality like if you look at things like Microsoft Surface Pro Microsoft Surface Duo 
ear their the new earbuds they make all these things it's like you kind of see those products that they were hypothesizing and fantasizing about like in 2009 and in 2014 you kind of see them come to fruition in what they're making now now is it significantly more tamed and less fucking like uh, orwellian looking in, in real life of course but Microsoft has always been this, like, we're excited about our aspirations and we want to share it with you, um, even if it may not come true or come true in the way in which we're trying to portray it now. Whereas, you know, other tech companies like like Apple and stuff are usually a lot more like, we don't say shit until we're ready to show shit. So I think it's just important to make that distinguishment. I know Xbox podcasts were supposed to be talking about pressing LT and RT and AB and XY and analog sticks and gamer score and fucking your mom in the Call of Duty Infinite Warfare lobby. I get that, but this is just one of those things. Microsoft is a massive tech conglomerate. They're like the big dog. So there are going to be things that happen within the company that aren't necessarily directly video game topics, but they have a lot of implication and a lot of relevance to the gaming sphere. And that's kind of what this is. One of those stories. Now, I know both those past two stories seemed made this podcast seem like it was more of a uh, more of a Microsoft general podcast with a slight slant on ranting over Chinese food in, in Orlando, Florida. But I swear to God, it is actually an Xbox podcast, and we're going to get into more traditional video game news starting right now. So next up, VGC reports. My, my guys over there at the VGC. id Software is hiring for what it calls uh, what it calls a long-running, iconic action first-person shooter project. The studio behind Doom, Rage, and Quake is looking for a senior technical animator, a skybox artist, and environmental concept art, as well as other technical positions. Notably, the art position lists the potential for applicants uh, for potential applicants um, who will be responsible for the visualization and implementation of AAA quality sci-fi and fantasy environments, vistas, and skyboxes. The list of qualifications desired for the role also requests the applicant is well-versed in fantasy and sci-fi art styles. While the listing didn't explicitly say which franchise uh, the jobs are for or the long-running iconic FPS series, uh, this, this statement, this requirement does potentially narrow down the project to either Doom or Quake. Doom Eternal was released in 2020 with positive reviews, received two pieces of DLC, as well as upgrades to Xbox Series X. While the last new Quake game, Quake Champions, was met with a muted player response and eventually went free-to-play back in 2018. A remastered version of the original Quake was recently made available for the game's 25th anniversary, but that's the last we've heard of Quake. Now, I personally am of the mindset that this is Quake. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't id say at one point in the past year or two that, like, after Doom Eternal, they're kind of taking a break from Doom for a while? And then the fact that they're talking about revisiting a beloved fps franchise that kind of leaves them with nothing but quake i really hope this is quake the weird thing is they say sci-fi fantasy i guess that you know that makes sense it is fantasy it's absolutely sci-fi uh, but it says fantasy and sci-fi art style so i don't know why that makes me feel like knights and dragons mixed with like spaceships and fucking aliens but I, I do tend to lean on this is this is Quake for sure. I'm pretty confident that's what they're going to next is they're going to try. You know, Quake Champions was a online arena shooter. Pretty cool game. I've dabbled with it recently. But I think that what they're going to try to do is go back to Quake and do to Quake what they did to Doom in 2016. So that is my hypothesis. I think that's what most people are going to expect this to be. I don't think you're going to see a lot of deviation or, or um, kind of interesting takes on this story other than to say it's more than likely that it is working on bringing back uh, quake in a more substantial way 
There's no way this is Rage because Rage is not a beloved, like, long-standing, tr- fucking iconic action FPS. It is a more recent game that has a different kind of audience response to it. And obviously, if it were Doom, I don't think they would just be like, oh, yeah, we're working on something that you would never expect from us. It's a, oh, it's a iconic FPS game. It's like, oh, it's just the third entry to the series you've been working on lately. Okay. I don't know. I I really I feel like this is a big enough story that we had to talk about it, but I don't have a whole lot to say on it, if that makes sense. Um, I think Doom is kind of tired at this point if you just pump out another one. The smartest thing they could do right now with Doom, in my opinion, is to kind of just let it rest, let people really appreciate it for it, and then build a desire for more of it and kind of yearn for it and move on to something else in the meantime. I think Quake is a series that is criminally underexplored kind of like doom where it's like it's been around but it hasn't been like i don't know nearly to its full potential and i think if they really just explore this franchise they can come up with a really cool campaign i think you could do basically like what you do with doom uh, but you could give it more story more atmospheric storytelling and maybe more direct storytelling and it would be more fitting for this um for this franchise than say doom which is all about the moment-to-moment action so i really think they could lean into this well and try to make Doom a proper $60 package complete with a robust campaign and multiplayer component. And I I can't help but feel like that's probably what they're shooting for now. So we'll have to just keep an eye on it for now. Um, if you guys have any other kind of inclinations or, or, or guess as to what you think it might be, I'd love to hear from you. But uh, yeah, I just I really don't see how it's anything other other than Quake unless they uh, unless they're like psych you fucking idiots. We got. Uh, we went to Raven and we got the the IP rights to Hexen. We're making a new Hexen game. Bet you didn't see that coming, you idiots, which I highly doubt. Next up, VGC reports that Halo Infinite will be getting an early access bundle in multiplayer DLC packs. According to reports, Agior Nementi, Agior Nementi, Lumia, ugh, online who regular reports on listings that are added to Xbox and Windows stores before they're even published, noted that a new listing for early access digital bundle was added to the store, which includes Halo Infinite as part of it. Over the weekend, Agior Nementi, Lumia, I'm fucking ruining that, uh, also noted that Microsoft was in the process of adding DLC to Halo Infinite uh, to the store. On October 29th, they pointed out that Halo Infinite got three DLCs over the last few hours. Then the following day, they simply replied four. The early access store listing is currently entirely blank from apart from the text saying early access digital bundle. If it is available, but if it's valid, it marks its first indication of the game's plan uh, to allow some Halo Infinite players to start playing before the game's release on December 8th. So this is a weird one because in the mid range of like xbox one days to late days there was this press for like pre-order the digital edition or whatever and and get four days early access right like some of the forza games did this gears 5 did this where they tried to entice people to pre-order or buy the deluxe edition by getting early time with the game we haven't really seen that be the case lately um i think especially because of game pass making that kind of more of the focus. I guess it's possible they could do like a Game Pass Ultimate uh, subscribers and people who buy the Deluxe Edition get four days early access to Halo Infinite, but I don't see... Halo Infinite comes out on a Wednesday. So what would you do? Release it two days early on a Monday or release it more days, five days early on a Friday? Or 
you're not going to release it on a Sunday unless you're Nintendo. So it's like this whole thing of like, when would you release it then if you're going to do it early? The other thing is, how would you announce it so late at this point? You know, we're five weeks away from Halo Infinite's launch and they're going to announce this at this point. They're going to wait till now or not even to discuss this early access option. I find that interesting. Is there a potential that this is a real thing and that this happens? Yes. I don't, I don't think this person's lying. I'm sure there are, there is back end evidence to prove that this is in some way posted or intended at some point, whether it happens or not. But I find it really curious that they waited this long and they're still just like not making this announcement. If this is true, this announcement has to come in the next week. Like literally has to be announced in the next week. So possibility, yes. Usually though, this is for games that are released on like a Thursday or Friday. It's like you get access to it on Monday or Tuesday and then you get to play it, you know, two to four days early. Uh, It's a little weird with a game like Halo Infinite because like what does that even mean? Like they're going to turn the online servers on early and let people play it or they're gonna um like make just the campaign available early i i don't know and then this is such a high profile game it's like do you really want to do that in a world where you're going to try to be controlling spoiler content as much as possible allow for a small subsect of people to have access to this game earlier than everyone else where they could potentially leak and spread so much shit way before most of the public gets the opportunity to even play the game so these are some of the questions i'm kind of like really you want it that's okay um, I'm not writing it off 100%, but if this is true, this is something that Microsoft or that Xbox needs to announce within the next week. Like, that's how close we are. As for the DLC, I mean, yeah, the game's going to have DLC. That's maybe some of that is like a battle pass or something or some cosmetic stuff, or maybe it's that kind of stuff like, oh, this is a download redemption code for people who bought the monster energy can or whatever and got the special whatever or bought the mega construct blocks and got the download code or bought this action figure which came with a download code for a skin in the game or something like that i think it's possible that those are the dlc listings um but if not i mean we know halo infinite is going to have added content down the road so i don't know why that's a big shock the thing i guess that is a little surprising is like you're probably not far along development on some of this game's dlc that you have listings for the store ready to go so that one's a little more a little more curious my my guess is that these are probably like download key cards and things like that that are like oh for people who downloaded the digital deluxe edition you got this little freebie or you know for people who bought this promotional tie-in food item you could download this thing so because we've seen that happen a lot and you've seen it happen even where like you look up a game on the xbox store and shows dlc that like shows as not available for purchase because it was like included with the deluxe edition or redeemed through a code only not something that you could click purchase on just spend money on directly so my guess is that the dlcs are probably tied to something like like that but yeah this whole like early access to the game itself I'm curious to see, is that going to be multiplayer too? Because the multiplayer is free to play, but you're also trying to control spoilers, so why would you want to make a whole thing out of this? And lastly, if they're going to do this, they're going to have, again, they're going to have to release the game. Sorry, they're, they're going to have to announce this within the next week. Lastly, I will just say, if there is like a whole like, only for people who purchase the digital deluxe edition of the game, experience Halo Infinite two or four days early. I'm dropping 80 bucks or whatever and doing that if that's what I got to do because I'm so excited for some Halo Infinite. Anyway, let's start wrapping up with some uh, quick stories as we as we finish up the news. Oh, there's some more stuff. Wow. 
I don't know why I put this one in the main news. It kind of goes more in the news not important enough to make the show, but important enough to just bring up, whatever. Activision Blizzard have announced that the delayed launches of Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 from next year to at least 2023. The news was announced Tuesday during the company's third quarter earnings call. When asked about why they weren't launching in at least 2022, Daniel Allegri, uh, Activision Blizzard COO, said to investors, as we've worked with new leadership at Blizzard and within the franchises themselves, particularly in certain key roles, it's become apparent that some of the Blizzard content planned for next year will benefit from more development time to reach its full potential. We're still planning to deliver a substantial amount of content from Blizzard next year. We are planning for a later launch of Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4, as originally envisioned. Um, and then goes on to talk about how these are really ambitious titles, blah, 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 the same shit you would always say to kind of give people assurance that everything's going smooth behind the scenes. Now, it is hard to hear this news and not think this might have something to do with these harassment claims. Because you think about a game like Overwatch that's so substantially popular, or Diablo that is so substantially popular, and the fact that Blizzard right now is so substantially hated, there might be a desire... You know, obviously every game could use a little more time. I'm sure every developer thinks, oh, if we just had six more months, if we just had 12 more months, we could do this, we could fix that, we could add this, whatever. And so this might be one of those opportunities where it's like, let's sit on these games a little bit, polish them, make sure they are the best products humanly possible for two reasons. One, the more time we have the um, to, you know, delay and then release these games later, the more time we have to kind of work off this bad image distance ourselves from this really bad story and try to get away from this. Activision's trying so hard to get away from this as soon as possible so they can start the process of people slowly forgetting this ever happened so they can sell millions of copies of games. That's part one. Part two is, and it's related to part one, if you have an image issue like this, one of the best things you can do to help work yourself out of it is just have your games hit so fucking hard that audiences can't help but still buy them, still play them, still respect them, still enjoy them. And so if Overwatch 2 just over-delivers on all fronts across the board, oh my god, it's just so much better than Overwatch 1, I can't imagine my life without this game, then it does a lot of the talking for them. Think about last year, how I was like, wow, they scrubbed the Tiananmen Square section of the Black Ops Cold War trailer from, from the fucking thing to appease fucking bullshit China and their whitewashing of, of actual history and all the atrocities they've committed. Fuck this company. Fuck them kowtowing to an oppressive government. Fuck Activision. I'm not buying this fucking game. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Fuck Black Ops Cold War. Fuck Activision. I'm done with this shit. And then like two days later, I was like, guys, uh, I pre-ordered Black Ops Cold War and I love the zombies. It's fucking awesome. Best Call of Duty in a long time. I've always been a Black Ops guy. So they're trying to create an opportunity. And, and that speak of the devil, that was Activision. They're trying to create a scenario like that because right now, you know, fucking Activision could donate money to the CCP in an attempt to actually murder and enslave, you know, fucking like Uyghurs. And no one in the Western world would bat an eye because no one in the Western world actually gives a shit about real problems and real political issues. They only care about the superficial stuff and the social politics. So they can get away with that. It's not a hard di story to distance themselves from. It's whatever, right? This one matters because this one's close to home. This is a harassment allegation that took place in America, involves Americans, and kind of speaks to the core of the social issues that Americans are most concerned with right now. 
So this is not something they can shrug off. This is something they have to kind of face and stare down the a barrel of and deal with for years to come. And so again, one of the best ways they can deal with this, one of the best ways they can get over this problem is to be like, okay, let's give these games some more time so this can kind of blow over a bit. And then when these games are ready to launch, let's just have them be so fucking good that people can't help but be like, oh man, I sure hate that your company has a history of you know harassing women and discriminating against women and people of color in your business, but fuck Diablo 4 is so good that I'm, I'm going to let it slide just this one time. And <laughs> that's, I'm sorry, that's the only way I see this being the case because generally with game delays, as we've seen consistently, I mean, as long as I've been doing Xbox on, it feels like every week I'm reading you the story of like publisher X de- delayed game Y by five more months because quote, they need more time to get the game up to the level of quality that they blah, 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 their standards, this polish level, whatever bullshit excuse, five more months. Usually those things are made like a month, two months, three months in advance. Those kinds of announcements, they're not made a year plus out. So the fact that they're willing to make that announcement now is a way of saying investors get ready. We've thought long and hard about the kind of trouble we're in right now. And we're going to react by we're going to react by delaying our games so we can kind of have a more strategic approach back into the goodwill, of the consumer back into the market. And I, that's how I kind of see this. I kind of, it's like it's a very planned and intentional move made from a mile away. And they're being transparent because it's illegal to lie to your investors. And they're telling them now, like, expect this. This is what we're doing. And the reason for it, because they want to get away from this bullshit. They want to get back into the good graces of the players. So that's my take on that story. It could be completely off base. Again, that would be a fun one to get some of your takes. So if you have any input, love to hear it. Guys, speaking of Activision, speaking of harassing women, speaking of putting guns in your hands and shooting them off in the in the, in the lobbies and saying, your mom's a fucking noob uh, because you're in seventh grade and you got an Xbox 360 for Christmas. VGC reports that after Vanguard releases this week, next up, presumably in the rotation is developer infinity war the team behind the modern warfare series so reportedly infinity ward already has big plans for 2022's modern warfare 2 this includes plans to introduce a fresh warzone map based on classic modern warfare 2 multiplayer arenas and a brand new third mode never seen before in call of duty Ooh, activision is dubbing down is doubling down on call of duty production this year following the huge success of warzone which has attracted over 100 million players. Vanguard releases on November 5th with a World War II campaign and multiplayer developed by Sledgehammer, Zombies from Treyarch, and a brand new Warzone map set in the Pacific. However, it's understood that internally Activision anticipates that next year's installment of Infin- from Infinity Ward could be the series' most significant change since its 2019 reboot. Allegedly, new details on Modern Warfare 2 started to emerge last week, including claims that the reboot sequel will include features such as weapon jamming, new morality systems, gore, revamped AI, and more. According to the sources, these details are mostly correct, but we were told at VGC that some educated guesses seem to have been made, likely based on early gameplay shared internally at Activision. Claims that Modern Warfare 2 2022 will include a modern similar a mode similar to Konami's horror experience in PT, for example, were said to be wide of the mark, according to people with knowledge of Infinity Ward's plans. The same source put put doubt on the significant moral uh, story choices and gore would be in full campaign, but confirmed that they were present in some story mission. Activision climbed to comment 
on the given details about the story ahead of publication. So this is a thing because what we have right now in Call of Duty is kind of a clusterfuck. In 2019, Infinity Ward came out of the gate after years of Call of Duty fatigue and just like this game is going to continue to do great and sell to its audience and in the core gaming space, people are going to continue to be a little jaded and a little tired of it, right? That was kind of the narrative leading up to Modern Warfare 2019. Infinity War comes out in 2019 with Modern Warfare and kind of blows people out of the water. Like, we completely reworked the engine. Everything looks and feels completely updated. Um, the game looks stunning. We brought back the Modern Warfare universe, but reimagined it. And it's fucking great. The campaign's awesome. The multiplayer is back, but things are different now. There are lots of new play styles, lots of new um, physics and ways to interact with the maps and just things like that, like new running, new, what is it called, when you can, like, latch your gun onto, like, um, environments or whatever, like, prop, ah, fucking prop it up over, like, ledges and things like that. And just ways to make the game feel more realistic, more hardcore, more sweaty and tactical, if you will. And... Whatever it is they did, like it or not, they really kind of reignited not just the core um, dedicated Call of Duty audience's love of the franchise, but they also brought back a lot of the core gaming audience's admiration they once had for that series. Because I don't like you guys remember. I mean, I think that's part of why people are so hard on Call of Duty, right? Because in 2007 and 2008 and 2009 2010 when we were getting modern warfare one and two black ops world at war you know these games were so goddamn good they were just so good you know everyone loved them yes the mainstream loved them the, the people who just play call of duty the people who just play sports games in call of duty the people who only own an xbox so that they can play call of duty Yes, that audience loved it. You know, the people who buy Grand Theft Auto, Madden, Call of Duty, otherwise don't pay attention to games. But not just them. Even the guy who's like playing Mass Effect and Halo and all the nerdy hardcore gaming shit. The guy who was, you know, pouring over fucking Elder Scrolls or whatever they were playing back in those days. Oblivion. Even that player was like, yo, this Call of Duty game is freaking awesome. It's really goddamn good. And then it just became this thing of like pointing out the same thing over and over again and then trying to evolve the series but not really having a pulse on what makes this, the game good and how you could evolve it properly. And 2019 kind of reinvigorated that spark for a lot of people with, with Modern Warfare. And I think the weird thing with Call of Duty is since then, it's been kind of controversial again. It was like 2019, everyone's like, whoa, COD's kind of getting inspired and cool again. And then in 2020, uh, then 2020, it was like Black Ops Cold War. And people were like, ah, and we're back to our old bullshit. Because, I mean, even though I like Black Ops Cold War way more than Modern Warfare 2019, people were like, oh, it's just right back to being like over-the-top cartoony and ridiculous and wonky and just kind of feels like old Call of Duty running in the new Call of Duty's engine and look and everything. So that's a little weird. And, you know, Warzone was like the big, big thing that, that, that kind of like blew people's minds. And Black Ops Cold War didn't like introduce a new Battle Royale, just added more content to it so it became this thing of like yeah that new call of duty kind of sucks but you know whatever we can play modern warfare still we can play warzone still and that kind of we've kind of seen this weird thing the past 12 months where call of duty is like people like the last one but not the most recent one but they're all playing warzone and it's very very weird thing if you go on twitch at any given time you'll see there are always more people watching modern warfare despite being older than there are people watching cold war because it's just more popular. 
And clearly, you know, even though I personally disagree, Infinity Ward has the secret sauce and people like what they're doing. And you look at this year's Call of Duty, people really are not happy with Sledgehammer. They don't want World War II. They think the game looks and feels generic and uninspired and like more of the same. Whatever it is, whether it's arbitrary or not, whether it's justified or not, people seem to really be resonating with what Infinity Ward's doing and not so much the other guys. So what we're left with is this Call of Duty where it's this three-year cycle we've always had, but it's like Infinity Ward, everyone's happy. Treyarch, everyone's mad. Sledgehammer, everyone's mad. Infinity Ward, everyone's happy. Treyarch, everyone's mad. Sledgehammer, everyone's mad. And it's kind of like this new cycle we're in with Call of Duty where I think there's a lot of pressure and a lot of confidence in Infinity Ward to say that these these are the guys. This is the team that can really speak to everyone, get get everyone from the casual to the hardcore player to come together and give a shit about Call of Duty for a moment. And I think they've taken that mantle and and, and are trying to push the envelope further. And that's why we're seeing reports of like a morality system, more gore, a revamped AI system. Whether all these things are correct or some of these things are correct, whatever the case may be, the story here isn't so much specifically what we're getting, but rather that they're not resting on their laurels. You know, like as much as I love Black Ops Cold War, I'll be honest, yeah, it's zombies and multiplayer and campaigns, nothing too groundbreaking, but it does all three of those things very, very well, in my opinion. This game, it looks like, well, hey, it's, yeah, it's called, you know, it's campaign and multiplayer, but, like, they're completely reinventing Warzone. They're completely adding new mechanic systems to campaign. They're adding a new third game mode, presumably something to replace um, Spec Ops, since that was the one mode that wasn't really well received in Modern Warfare 2019, with something completely creative and new. Now, this whole, like, Konami's PT-type horror experience, I find that hard to believe. Like, what the fuck could that be? Like, clearly an answer to, like, Treyarch's got zombies. This is this will be our spooky mode. I'm very curious to see what this is, but I don't think it's going to be a PT like Silent Hill Konami experience. I find that hard to believe, but nonetheless, it's uh, it's it's kind of unfortunate for the other teams. But what we're seeing here is this: Infinity War is getting full three year development cycles, unlike you know what Treyarch just had with Black Ops Cold War. And they're not running into bumps the way Treyarch did with Black Ops 4 or the way Sledgehammer did with uh, with this year's Vanguard game. Infinity Ward is consistently getting out a brand new Call of Duty every three years as promised per their contract. And now they're kind of kicking ass again, which is weird because kind of after Modern Warfare 2, after like Vince Zampella left Activision and everything... Treyarch kind of became the premier Call of Duty developer for a while, and now we're swinging back to Infinity Ward. And it looks like they're definitely planning on keeping that going here. Uh, I mean, what they said the story supposed to be about, like we talked about this in the news a while ago. It's supposed to be like some Colombian, Colombian like drug cartel or something. The game is centered around like they're getting they're getting weird with the story here, and uh, kind of excited to see what they do with it. But uh, I don't know. Let's let's wrap up this week with our game pass. Uh, new releases coming soon. So on November 2nd, we're getting... Uh, this is from the Xbox Wire. We're getting Minecraft Java Bedrock Edition on PC and Unpacking on Cloud Console and PC. That is available day one through Game Pass, by the way. So that's available now. The day you're listening to this, November 4th, uh, Game Pass is getting It Takes Two on Cloud Console and PC through EA Play. Hey, that's awesome. I want to play that game. Now I, now I don't want to buy it. They're also getting... Kill It With Fire on Cloud Console and PC. Then on November 9th, we're getting Football Manager on PC, uh, available day one. We're also getting it on Console and Cloud, um, the Xbox edition of the game, rather. And then on November 9th, of course, the big one, 
Forza Horizon 5, available day one through Game Pass, cloud console, and PC. Cannot wait to play that game. And then on November 11th, we're getting GTA San Andreas, the Definitive Edition, through console. And on console and PC, we're getting one step from Eden. So lots of good Game Pass content coming in November, a very solid month for the service. But also on November 15th, we're losing a handful of games. So on cloud, console, and PC, we're losing Final Fantasy VIII HD, Planet Coaster, Star Renegades, Streets of Rogue, The Garden Between, and River City Girls. So if you want to play in those games, make sure you get them in now because they'll be gone in less than two weeks. Now, that's going to do it for all of our news this week, guys. But quick, we've got important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. Now, quick. Windows Central reports that Halo Developer 343 have announced a special 20th anniversary update coming to the Master Chief Collection as part of the studio's celebration of 20 years of Halo and Xbox. Unlike previous updates, the game will have uh, large quantities of content. Rather than having large quantities of content all at once, the developers doling out new cosmetics inspired by Halo's franchise and history uh, over the months of November, December, and the start of January. The items will be available in-game exchange store for season points and can be earned by completing matches and finishing daily and weekly challenges. We're getting things like an Orion armor set uh, for Halo 2 Anniversary, uh, the Beast Pack accessory, and Duke shoulders for Halo 3, so a little nod to Xbox there. We got an OG Xbox assault rifle skin for Halo 3, hydration container utility item for Halo Reach, uh, grunt plush and Xbox X-Pack back accessory for OG Xbox, Magnum skin for Halo 3. So lots of like cool stuff that's a nod to old Halo games or old Xbox stuff um, in Master Chief Collection. Very fun way to celebrate this anniversary. Next, uh, VGC reports that 343 have revealed a new Halo Infinite multiplayer map as shown off at, through IGN as part of their IGN first this month with Halo Infinite. The new map is called Streets and is set in New Mombasa. The game, the map sees one team spawn a local transit authority and the opposing at the city's police station. It's a 4v4 space arena map. It's a medium to small scale. And multiplayer lead designer Kale George uh, revealed the map to IGN this past week. It looks very much like that Halo 5 um, map that I'm blanking on right now. Uh, it's called like City or Streets or something like that. Whatever. Very similar looking vibe to me. Next, very sad news. Vicarious Visions, who were recently forced into being part of Team Blizzard, uh, were told this week that the studio is losing its name as part of its merger with Blizzard. The team was informed that it, uh, at a town hall meeting at Activision Blizzard. According to the report, employees were under the impression that the team would still be known as Vicarious Visions, despite the decision earlier in the year to fold it into Blizzard as a support team rather than a lead developer. So that fucking sucks. The Vicarious Visions name is now dead. The developer is basically just stuck on Blizzard support duty. So great job with all that Crash Bandicoot and Tony Hawk stuff you've been remaking the past few years. Great job with all the amazing games you made over the many years. Uh, you're fucking stuck working on Diablo. And that's why I don't want to play Diablo, because fuck you. Next, Ubisoft has delayed The Division, Heartland, and Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake. Previously scheduled during the current fiscal year, they will now launch during the company's next, next fiscal year. So that means sometime before March 31st, 2023. Rocksmith Plus, which was also delayed um, from summer 2021 to an unspec- unspecified date, uh, also has now been pushed to next fiscal year. Uh, the publisher announced this week. And then finally, Windows Central reports Marvel's Midnight Suns, a strategy game being developed by XCOM developer for Axis, has been delayed to the second half of 2022. Take-Two Interactive shared as part of its Q2 2022 f- financial results. 
The game was previously scheduled for March, but will now uh, be ha- or release at some time in Take Two's Q3 or Q4 lineup. Guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Thank you so much for keeping up. Real quick, a couple of notable game releases coming out this week. Things to take care to definitely be aware of. Just Dance 2022, of course. Series X Enhanced, of course. The Blinding of Isaac Repentance on Series X and X S now available. And Call of Duty Vanguard, November 5th, Series X and S optimized. So, of course, Fast and Furious Spy Racers Rise of Shifter on November 5th. I never knew about this game. Now I gotta buy a new Fast and Furious game, I guess. I'm not even joking. And then, of course, more importantly, uh, Forza Horizon 5 coming out November 5th. X and S guys. Oh wait. So that's it. Yeah. Because the premium edition, hang on a second. Yeah. So back to that halo story, they're still doing this Forza horizon five. If you hit the premium edition, you get to play it this Friday, but the game comes out next Tuesday. So same thing as halo. So yeah, it's very possible that halo is going to get that four days early thing. That's so weird. That means it will come out on like a Saturday or Sunday. I don't know what to make of that. So that's going to be for people who bought the deluxe edition. Okay. So there probably is a lot of truth to that. Man, we're going to have to see that announcement in the next week. Maybe two, but probably next week. That is insane. And then also we got our new Games of Gold for the month of November. So from now through the 30th, we've got Moving Out, uh, which just came out, by the way. From November 16th to December 15th, we got Kingdom Two Crowns. From November 1st through the 15th, we've got Rocket Knight on 360. And on also on 360... From November 16th through the 30th, we've got Lego Batman 2 DC Super Heroes, which people really like that game. Um, but that's going to do it for everything this week. You guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, episode went a little longer than usual, so let me uh, end it there. Twitch, Mondays and Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Follow me there at twitch.tv slash lightningextreme. Please, make me feel good about myself. Follow me on Twitter. Make me feel validated at jesse DeRosa on twitter it'll make me feel so special subscribe on youtube and please if you're listening on apple leave a leave a review leave a five-star review please don't say anything mean about me guys a couple of you guys have been dropping lately a couple of nasty reviews a couple of nasty comments from long-term listeners who i never expected to just kind of just kind of peace out i can't take that guys i can't take the criticism I can't take the rejection. I can't take the insults. You got to go real easy on me. So just leave. If you feel like saying something mean, just leave a five-star review instead. Thank you so much, guys. Until next week, don't power your screams because I'll get copyright stricken. But do power your dreams. Watch your step and please be safe. And it's a long way to go till we get home. And piece by piece, I took it slow and I found myself outside your door. What I
It's just too much to take And I've fallen away from you